stole this time a loaf of bread them. for his family. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce 0601. I messed up the numbers, but you get the idea. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of We Explain Movies. I'm Kimmy. I'm Kayleen. And I'm Courtney. And this is the podcast where three best friends explain, rate slash review, and decide whether or not to see the latest and greatest or most beloved classics of film. This means each week, two or one of us will explain a movie to the other two or one of us in its entirety. Since this is a center for spoilers, if you haven't seen this week's movie, tune out and tune back in once you have. For other spoiler timestamps, check out our Instagram and Twitter at WeExplainMovies. Here's how it's going to go. We're going to start off with what we watched this week, move into some movie-related questions, followed by the explanation, and then we're going to close out with our watchlist ads and recommendations. You're listening to We Explain Movies. Hello, everybody! This week, me, Kayleen, will be explaining the movie 12 Monkeys. This movie came out in 1995, hence why I'm doing it, because I love that old shit. Uh, <laughs> explaining it to yep. Courtney and Kimmy. Yay! Welcome, everyone. Welcome. What did you watch this week? Well, Kimmy and I saw the best movie of 2020, <laughs> Birds of Prey. Yes. And And they have to be careful because Kayleen hasn't seen it and she's dying inside. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're not, we're not even going to delve into spoilers or anything like that. Um, because also you should go see it. It's amazing. I can't wait. It's such a time. I had such a blast. I just couldn't stop smiling throughout. Yeah. My cheeks hurt by the end. (laughs) Yeah. I just love it. I'm just like, we need this, you know? Mm -hmm. We need this, and I just don't, if it was, if it's so successful, I don't know why it took so fucking long for us to get on board with it, you yeah. know? Or the world, you know, not me, I was here for it since birth. <laughs> oh yeah, I came out of the womb and I was like, Kathy Ann, where is she? <laughs> she needs to make me a movie. Um, yeah, I definitely just, like, the whole film was turning and looking at Kimmy. Like, yeah. I was like, did you see that? <laughs> like, obviously yeah. she Wasn't did. Wasn't that dope as fuck? But every, si- like, Harley could have just blinked out of it, like, <laughs> look at her eyelashes! And like, dear yeah. God, and you know what? I feel really bad because I feel like I really rap on the male species a lot on this podcast, and I really don't mean to because I love men, <laughs> and I, I love male-centric movies. I truly do. But haven't we had enough of the group men action fighting, you know, kinds of movies? Like, when was the last one of these? Yeah. Girls deserve to see themselves on the screen kicking ass. Loved it. Loved every single second. And uh, the soundtrack... Yeah, it was banger. Oh, soundtrack is a banger. I, like, almost thought about listening to it, but I don't really like listening to soundtracks before I see things, but I thought about it. That's what we watched together. Do you want to go next and talk about yours? Okay, so there's three movies that I watched that I want to talk about. I watched more, but uh, I'll just talk about these three. The first one is very important to talk about (laughs) is Parasite. Oscars this weekend! Oscars this weekend! I watched Parasite finally um, with my sister, and oh, your sister watched it too. She suggested that That's we watch awesome. it because she'd already seen it before. And she's like, do you right. want to watch it? And I was like, wow, are you serious? She's like, yeah, totally. I'll watch that with you. And that was a lot of fun. And um, I, I just think that it's incredible. Yeah. Like, that. I think that the most impressive thing about the movie was the pacing. Mm-hmm. And I, know I talked to you briefly about this before, but... Um, there's just so much jam-packed into that movie, and the pacing never wavers, and I'm, like, on the edge of my seat and intrigued the entire time. Mm -hmm. And, like, what is it? Is it a psychodrama? Is it a comedy? Is it a thriller? Like, 
is it like a political piece? Like it's all of those things. And I thought it was just so intentionally and intelligently packed into this perfect plot. I just thought that was so amazing. When, when you and I were talking about this off air, I used the word, which I don't know if it's the correct word, but I used the word that it is simple and by that, I think what I mean is it doesn't rely on twists and turns. Things are twisty and things are suspenseful, but they're not trying to give you whiplash in order to impress you. They know what they can do to be interesting. Yeah, right? like fresh. There's a, whole f- <laughs> there's a whole man living in a basement and yeah. it's terrifying. But then that that can't even be the problem for much longer because we got something else that we got to do. Yeah. And those are the twists. But at the end of it, it just comes down to like a class struggle. Exactly. That is being acted out in these ways. And with that man as well. I'm hoping for best picture for Parasite, to be honest. Me too. Oh, it better. (laughs) Well, here's why. Because I... So, I guess my reasoning is because it is the only movie on that list that I both believe deserves it and has a chance. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because there are movies on that list I would prefer personally to win, but I think out of the ones I like, it's the most likely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also... We either sound super smart or super dumb. This episode's for sure coming out after the Oscars. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm not releasing it on a Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow is my Super Bowl. Tomorrow is a holiday. Yeah. We took work off the following day. No, we literally did. <laughs> I'm planning to be hungover. <laughs> I'm planning to just be sitting there and then look at Kimmy and go, do you want to watch Parasite? <laughs> yeah, right? I'll um, probably be watching Honey Boy on Monday. Oops. <laughs> Um, I guess I'll follow this up with the more gnarly one out of the three that I watched, which was The Nightingale. Mm. It's made by the same woman who made The Babadook. Oh, I know exactly that movie you're talking about. Yeah. And I knew going into it, I'd heard that it's pretty gruesome and pretty um, controversial. Really, I don't really know if that's the word that I'm looking for, but it was pretty brutal. And I gotta be honest. Well, first of all, there is something really magnetic about the lead actress throughout the entire movie. And I don't necessarily agree with her for a lot of it, and sometimes I think that she's not very smart at times, but she's working under duress through a lot of this film, Mm -hmm. and grief, and loss, and, and rage. It is a really difficult film to watch because they do get pretty, um, visual with, you know, some of the bad stuff that happens. If anybody doesn't know, there's a lot of rape scenes in it. So, I did know that, actually. Yeah. It's terrible. It's very terrible and very hard to watch and just awful. And so when I was done with the movie, I was like, I think that I liked that, but I'm not really sure about it. Yeah. I don't really know. And then I did some research and stuff. The director was very true to her vision. She... Mm made exactly what she wanted to make. And she's like, I want to make a movie about violence. I want to make a really realistic film about my country's history. It was a really dark, awful time. And it's something that people like to skate over and not talk about. Mm -hmm. But this is what happened. And it's incredibly universal for what's occurring today. And I was like, wow, that's fucking right. And I just liked it so much more. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, just because it's like she set out to do something and she accomplished that. Mm-hmm. And I just love how it has like a universal meaning to modern society. Uh, and yeah, it's awful, but mm-hmm. reality is sometimes really awful. 
Um, so that was that movie. Yeah, I thought it was really well made. Uh, that lead actress, I hope she gets more stuff. Oh, cool. And then the last thing that I want to talk about that I watched was this movie that I actually had on my watch list on the pod. I remember mm-hmm. this. I watched The Savages, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman and Laura Linney. Happy birthday, Laura! (laughs) (laughs) We love you, Laura Linney! Totally Um, know who you are. I loved the film. Again, it's like an indie movie where it has just all the things that I like about it. It's a comedy about a sad topic, Mm. and it's really just a character study. And obviously, they're two powerhouse actors working off of each other. It's Mm -hmm. amazing. And there's so many layers to each character. It's so carved out. And I thought that the writing was great. And it's a really, like, poignant story about two grown adults who are realizing that they need to be the adults to their father now. Who is, like, not very good to them. He was abusive to them when they were younger. And now he has to be put in hospice. So they have to take care of him and stuff. So it's these floundering... Children, mm-hmm. essentially, who kind of have to grow up. I just thought it was a really sweet story, and they're both artists in it. They're both into theater, and it's, like, a great story about, like, overcoming trauma, about growing up, about family. I I love movies like that. It gave me some major um, sunshine cleaning vibes. Oh. Where it's, like, these really great characters and kind of, like, a bigger plot that's just kind of pushing them along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I super recommend it. That's awesome. hmm So I watched Haunting of Hill House again because Dakota's never seen it, and I wanted to show it to him, and I wanted to watch it. And, um, before I talk about all the amazing things about it, I wanted to bring up two things I forgot about that are jokes we used to always make about the show. One of them being, I just like totally spaced on it and I couldn't stop laughing. McKenna Grace wakes up after like a ghost is cuddling with her and she sees there's no ghost in bed with her and she looks at her hand and she goes, whose hand was I holding? And it's like, I, I saw it. I see you looking at your hand. I don't need you to say whose hand I'm was I holding. I'm more excited for the next one you're going to talk about. You know what? <laughs> So the next one is so funny. The next one is the scene where they find the picture. Is this what you're thinking? They're looking at the photo of, I think her name is Penny. She's one of the ghosts in the house. And the uh, Mrs. Dudley, the worker woman, she is showing it to, I think it might be the boy. I don't know. She's showing it to someone. And she's like, this is Penny. She was insane. (laughs) Yes. And and then she keeps talking about more things about her. And then again goes, and she was just in, she was crazy. She was insane. Like says it so many times. I remember. It's like, like, did you hear about the crazy woman? She went insane. (laughs) So both of those things, I was like, oh, I forgot about these jokes. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, So that was the one you were thinking? Yeah. I could have sworn it was the woman who like comes She's a ghost, but she's the really fancy, well-dressed ghost. I think it's the same one. And then, yeah, that show's just so beautiful. And the end, I I remembered the line, the rest is confetti, and I couldn't oh remember. Oh my gosh. I couldn't remember the context of it. And yeah. her line right before is like, I loved you guys all, and you loved me in return. The rest is confetti. Like, the rest doesn't matter. And I'm over there, like, sobbing. (laughs) It's so beautiful. And Dakota's asleep. (laughs) No, thankfully he didn't fall asleep. I think I purposefully was like, we better watch this episode in the morning, because I'm going to get so angry if you're asleep. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And she is the heart of that show, Mm -hmm. even though she's in it the least. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so beautiful. I love that show. I love that show, too. All right, that was what we watched this week. 
getting into movie-related questions. Movie-related questions! Hey. So, my first question is, simple enough, what's your favorite time travel movie? You right. go first, because you're like the time travel queen. Yeah, okay, time travel queen here. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I wanted to pick something other than just my obvious choice, and so I was thinking about it, and I was looking at the DVDs on my shelf, and I went, ugh! Right, it's right there. <laughs> yeah, and I went, ugh, I gotta pick the butterfly effect for an honorable mention, because mm-hmm. that one is just all about time travel and all about the effects of time travel specifically and how much they can ruin you, how much one little thing can seem like it's good, but then, oh no, this thing's good, but this thing's way, way worse, so now I gotta fix it. And I think I've maybe even recommended that movie on here before, but that's just such a banger and I'm really itching to watch it soon. I haven't seen it it in a while. Yeah. So I I know so many parts of that movie, like by heart. Like forever just gonna be in my mind. I have so (laughs) many images of it. Ooh, you know what's funny about this actually? I'll tie this into my obvious answer, but in that movie the guy who plays the horrible dad yeah, yeah, is yeah. Eric Stoltz, who was gonna play Marty McFly in Back to the Future. But so, was too depressing. <laughs> but was too depressing. Thought he was in, like, an Oscar drama. He was like, is this my Oscar movie? Hey, I just saw a side-by-side comparison of him looking past the dad in yeah, the yeah, diner, yeah. and I was like, whoa. Like, Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah, but one also of the, sad. One of the, I might have even said this on the podcast before, but one of the things that I love in reading the book about all the behind-the-scenes stuff is that, and you can see it in the clips, too, if you watch that side-by-side thing, is that it just seemed like the universe was telling them, no, this is the right choice for Marty. Because mm-hmm. when Michael J. Fox was on set that day where he's walking through the town, it was a beautiful day, like the most beautiful day on set. And you can see that in the comparison that the yeah. other one looks kind of cloudy and grim. The clouds parted and shined down on Michael J. Pretty Fox. Pretty much. <laughs> they were like, this is no longer a depressing movie, it's a comedy. Yeah. So, um, but specifically, my answer is Back to the Future Part 2. Not only because this is my favorite Back to the Future, but because this is the most time travel Back to the Future. Uh, I watched this as a kid, and obviously watching something like this as a kid is so cool, because <laughs> 2015 was very far away at the time, or at least seemed far away, and I was, like, convinced all those things were going to happen. I couldn't wait for flying cars. I'm like, well, that's obviously true. Yeah. <laughs> and, um... This is a really crazy thing that Screen Junkies actually helped me decode because it was like this crazy thing embedded in my memory that I didn't get answers to for a long, long time. When I watched the commentary on those movies when I was younger, or like the behind the scenes little snippets, whatever, there's a part where Robert Zemeckis says, oh, hoverboards exist, but the toy companies won't sell them because they think they're too dangerous. So I went years of my life thinking that the pink hoverboards existed, only to find out that he said that to mess with people so that kids would be like, Mom, buy me a hoverboard. (laughs) And I was like, I am lied to. I feel also betrayed. Also, the hoverboards that came out don't even hover. Yeah, what Those is that about? Um, so besides the future being super awesome, what I love about this movie and what I think makes it so interesting and really sets up this whole universe and what makes these movies so special and blend together is when they start playing with things like the alternate timeline and talking more about the concept of time and how you can't just go to the future to fix it because it is still the future of this alternate reality and like mm-hmm. it it just all gets so convoluted but they explain it in such an easy and simple way 
there's no wormhole poking trope, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite one, and it's my favorite time travel movie in general. Nice. Since you took the honorable mention I would have had, I could do another honorable mention Perf. of Donnie Darko. Oh, nice. Because I, I don't have to do that. No, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't. No, I had another one that I wanted to use. I'm just scared you're going to say that, too. I don't think anyone's seen this movie. That's no, my only that honorable mention. more scared. That's... <laughs> I'm, I'm coming for it. <laughs> um, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> um, yeah, Donnie Darko, I've said this on the pod before as well, but I have uh, like a behind-the-scenes book and everything and the script, and in it I also studied this in high school. One of my teachers assigned this. We had to read Roberta Sparrow's time travel That was an book. assignment? Yeah. That is so sick. Oh, this woman was my entire life. Do you think that you will do that in the future? Yes. Oh, oh I for sexy. sure will. Yeah, she was incredible. We watched The Devil Wears Prada and analyzed it. Ooh. She was, like, even she was like, I guess we have to read Catcher in the Rye. Oh, I loved Catcher in <laughs> but, the Rye. I was one of those. Because you liked to, to call people phony. Um, but then after we did that, we did Donnie Darko, and we compared the two of those. And she made it, like, literature by having us read Roberta Sparrow's time travel book. That's awesome. Um, and it's really cool. And also Donnie Darko's amazing. And also time travel. <laughs> um, my real answer is a movie nobody has seen. <laughs> Kimmy's scared. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Um, because I saw the trailer for this uh, when it was made in 2013. Ooh. And I was so excited for it this because... Is spicy. Oh, is it Hot Tub Time Machine? I knew no. it. No, it's not. <laughs> no. She didn't even kind of react Damn to it. You have mine. Cool, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of this first and I was really excited. I saw the trailer for it in 2013 and it had a different title than what it later got released as. And it, I really thought it was within the Chronicle Cinematic Universe. Okay. Did it used to be called Chronicle No, something? but it's found footage... Okay, no, it's, <laughs> it's not yours. It's not mine. Hey, great. Calm down. Um, it's it just, stressful on the other side of the mic, you guys. Yeah. I've always wanted, a, like, a, a Chronicle sequel, which yeah. now I'm like, never mind. I've seen what can happen. Um, right. But I, I was, like, thinking this felt like same universe, like a group of teens who find something and then all of a sudden powers and woo and all this stuff, and mm -hmm. it was all found footage. It was called um, Welcome to Yesterday is what it was going to be, and it's like a group of kids who, um, anyways, it ended up being called Project Almanac. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. It's actually really good. I've I only seen it once. I think I remember seeing the trailer back in the day. Yeah. And it was called Welcome to Yesterday then, and then I remember being like, what, whatever happened to that movie? Um, basically, they find his dad's plans and an old camera, and then they build a time machine and they go back, and, like, the dope, like, moment in the trailer is, um, he's watching home footage, like, his seventh birthday party or something, and the person filming it, he's like, who's filming it? And the person walks by a mirror, and he realizes it's him. Ah! He's like, I attended my seventh birthday party twice! Yeah. <laughs> um, he doesn't say that. Um, but it was, it's really good, um, just in terms of being, like, a fun teen movie. Like, you know, they, they come together as a group, they're having, like, a really nice time, they're, you know, doing, like, all kinds of crazy stuff, and, like, because they just feel invincible, but then something goes wrong, obviously. Cool. Uh, Project Almanac. All right. Okay. Cool. I'm glad you didn't have much. She's gonna say something, like, completely different and unrelated. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you were so scared. Okay, so, my honorable mention is The Lake House. <laughs> I had no idea that had anything to do with time travel. I, I thought it was like a couple at a lake house. I thought it was like Nicholas Sparks. Yeah, not, I did too. It's not time travel in the sense like they 
they touch something and they're jolted back. Yeah, it's time it's travel like, and that her husband is ripped away from her at different times no, by the cosmos. No. <laughs> they have this lake house and they exchange letters oh. through the mailbox, but one of them is in a different time, even though oh. they're communicating. And so they do something to like meet up. That's way. cool. That is yeah. cool. That's my honorable mention. My real answer, and this is also a movie that I've only seen once, so I don't remember too much about it other than I was like, it was really funny and it was really touching and I thought it was unique, is this movie called Safety Not Guaranteed. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, it's really good. I was going to put that on honorable mentions, but I was like, I've only seen it once. It's got Mark Duplass. We watched it together. Yes, Oh, yes, we did. Yeah, that's right. Shoot, I forgot. Mark Duplass, Aubrey Plaza, and the guy from... Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson. Yeah. And it's just really funny and really mm-hmm. sweet, you know? And makes like, you question some stuff. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just remember really liking the ending. Yeah. And that the cast is great. I remember the big smile at the end. Like, yeah. they're all standing. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. 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 That's a good pick. Yeah. My second question is, a movie where the protagonist has to convince somebody that they aren't crazy. This can be for any reason. And obviously, in this example it would be like i could use back to the future as an example of when he has to tell doc like i'm from the future oh yeah so it's that's the idea so my honorable mention because i've already talked about it multiple times on the pod is take shelter right Mm -hmm. i think it does that i won't say anymore we already talked about it at length cool my answer is girl interrupted Ooh. because she doesn't it's not necessarily like a fight for her to say like i'm not crazy and she chose to be there and she needs to be there um, but I do remember there being times where she's like, I'm not like these other people, like, and Whoopi Goldberg's got her in the bath, and she's like, oh, yeah. what are you doing? I don't need this, mm. and stuff like that, um, but it's like kind of about her coming to terms with her own mental health and mm. well-being and stuff, and I just think it's an overall really good movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't really count, but. I feel like Take Shelter satisfies the question more, but I get that we've talked about it a lot. Yeah. yeah. Yours yeah. was more like. Big brain thinking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we all which, have something we need to come to terms with. <laughs> to be fair, this movie does do big brain thinking in a similar way to that, but it is still like, Isn't it believe like, me about time travel. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, I'll go next. I can't decide which of these I like more, so I'm going to say both. Um, one is Ghost, because the protagonist is trying to convince oh, right. his... Well, I think the protagonist would be the ghost, which is Patrick Swayze, but he uses Whoopi. Like, they both kind of have to try to convince oh, together. Oh, I was saying he has to convince Whoopi. Yeah, and then yeah. Whoopi has to convince Demi, so it's like a whole, look, I'm really here, I'm really a ghost, and she has to say, I'm not crazy, he's really a ghost. Yeah. Like, And I just think that movie is amazing. I love that movie. And then my other answer, which we've done on the podcast, is Face Off. How he has to convince his wife that he really is who he says he is, and he's not Nicolas Cage. <laughs> That's such a situation he's gotten himself into. <laughs> yeah. What a situation we have here. But, um, yeah, so he, the, I mean, in order for the movie to end, he has to convince his family that he's the dad. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I thought we were definitely going to go into, like, just big-time territory of horror movies and stuff. Like, oh. no, there is a ghost. Yeah. No, there's not. Um. I'm going to talk at length about this one because it's just so funny. (laughs) My answer is the Sandra Bullock film, The Net, which no one has seen. No, I know what it is, but I've not even kind of seen it. it. (laughs) 
It's like a bad cyberpunk movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It came out whenever, the 90s. Mm-hmm. I probably didn't see it until like 2004. And I was like, this is the best movie oh, ever. No. When technology had m- progressed so much further. Yeah. Um, but she is like a hacker. That's her job. I'm in. <laughs> and the movie opens with her ordering a pizza on the computer. <laughs> and she's like, she's like literally like one finger clicking. And she's like, pepperoni. And the, the computer's like, you got it. <laughs> like, she gets it. But I like that she's like hacking her way into ordering a pizza. Yeah. And Who has she, time to dial a phone number? She's all business all the time. Oh my God. She never takes a break from work. Because she has a laptop. <laughs> and oh. <laughs> she decides to go on vacation for once in her life. And it's clear she has no friends. Her mom is, um, like, a, in an old folks home, like, with Alzheimer's, I believe. Mm. And she just has no no one except for, like, her one hacker friend who they've never even seen each other face to face. Oh. Anyways, she's on vacation. And then some Pierce Brosnan looking man, uh, like... Is it Pierce Brosnan? No. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it is. <laughs> no, he just looks like him. I think. <laughs> God, I hope it's him. You want me to look really, it up? No. <laughs> I want to be wrong. I want it to be a Laura Linney situation. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan shows up. Or he doesn't. I don't know. <laughs> um, and, you know, she's like, at the beach on her laptop. I'm just going to explain the whole plot to you guys. <laughs> Anyways, he knows that she's this, like, hacker. He knows that she's got something on her computer that he wants. He seduces her, and then... He ruins her entire life. He literally like, hacks into the government and presses like the delete button on like her human file, <laughs> and like you watch like her whole like f- like everything like all of her digital footprint like just erases. Yeah. And so like that's the technology that he's got is that anybody can be completely removed, and uh, then he can upload all these new documents about how she's like a fugitive, and he's yeah. like got a photo of her that he turns into like a mugshot. And so she's, like, a wanted fugitive now, and she has mm. no money. She doesn't have a home anymore. She, like, sees that her house is there, and or she calls her house, and, like, his accomplice picks up the phone and says, like, hello, this is Sandra Bullock. She's like, no, I'm Sandra Bullock. I forget her name. I think it's Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, she, like, has to find someone to convince, yeah. and, like, she can't go to the cops because they're going to be after her, and mm-hmm. so, like... Uh, it's just, it's just so funny. That's awesome. Like, it is a hysterical movie to watch now that just, like, times have progressed, and it's like, yeah, I wish I could delete myself from the internet, (laughs) but I can't. Yeah. And, yeah, so the whole movie is just her trying to, uh, get back her sanity, because, because she has no friends, like, she's trying to tell people, like, no, this is who I am, and they're like, find one person who can prove it was you. And then her mom has Alzheimer's. Oh, no! Yeah, and then, um, this other woman is pretending to be her, and so... What a bitch. I know. I know. (laughs) She was a bitch. Anyways, it all works out. (laughs) In the end. Is that it? Yeah, I love it. The net. Dope. (laughs) I'm watching it tomorrow. (laughs) Alrighty, let's get into this movie. We did watch the trailer. Yes. So Bruce Willis is in a high life situation. That's what it seemed like. They called him like, we'll take He's time a, off your prison sentence or yeah. something. If you, if you oh, yeah. Help us out. I forgot that that was part of high life. Yeah. Yeah. By going to the future and figuring out a cure to this rapid virus or something in our time, we will reduce your sentence. Wait, do you think he's going to the future? I, yeah. I thought he was going to pass to prevent the monkeys. From, from growing into 12. <laughs> <laughs> to prevent the monkey army assimilation. Okay. <laughs> I, like, don't even want to help you. 
just gonna let you guys figure it well, out. Well, now I think he's going to the past because you said that. But no, well, my question is just he's... if he's going to the future, what for? Like you can't prevent something if you're going to the future. So I'm wondering what. No, you can because if you go to the future, you can get their technology. Oh, okay. To back. come back, and you know that's gonna obviously fuck some things up. Okay, because. Got it. It's just no good to mess with the time-space continuum. So, <laughs> Thank you, Marty. I appreciate your knowledge. <laughs> they said his name in the trailer. It was something basic, and I... James Cole. Forgot it. James okay, Cole. James. He... I feel like it's like he's switched timelines, and so it's like more parallel university type thing. Like, mm. he went into the future or into the past. I don't know. Then when he returned, he returned to the wrong time, so it isn't yet 1996. It's 1995. Uh, okay, so let's set up some... Just to be clear, let's set up some, what time do you think we start in with him? Like, what time is his present? Like, what year? The 70s. The 60s. No. The 40s. The 80s. Okay, and then you're saying he goes to the future to what year? 1996. Okay. And then... No, he. they ask him, what year do you think it is? And he says, 1996. And they say that's a year... To ahead they of don't, its time. They don't. Oh, I got. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly what you're I saying. I get. I get it now. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, so you're saying okay. Just to clarify s- for listeners. So you're saying they're in like the 80s ish, and then the future. That you're saying they're in what year? 90. They're not. No. No. They. <laughs> they start in. Okay. Okay. Yes. This is what happens. Oh my god. They're in the 80s. Okay. okay? He says, I need to get to 1996. Okay. And they're like, we're going to send you there to eradicate this virus because you fucked up and you're our only hope. Mm-hmm. Then he gets sent in the time machine and he gets there and he, they're like, what year do you think it is? And he's like, 1996. And they're like, no, it's actually 200 billion. Or I don't know. Some other time. That's too many years. Okay. <laughs> some, just, I like how passionate you are. It some other happy. time. You know, I got this shit right when we did Serenity, so I'm trying to. <laughs> okay, I kind of just can't even can't even think right now with the okay. whole time stuff. So I'm gonna do some other things. Okay, uh, he makes it back from his time adventures mm-hmm. to some sort of present, and it's not the one he wants to be in because things are just not going well either. Like it's an alternate present. Uh, it's, I'm not really thinking totally that way, but he just makes it back to where he started, and like maybe then it's like no one even knows who he is because like mm. the mission was so covert. But also, like, you change the past or the future, you can't, like, come back to the same moment. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. So he's in this new world where nobody really gets who he is, but maybe they still have a record of, like, what okay. he's done. And so he's committed to, like, an institution. Mm-hmm. And while he's there, he meets funny guy Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. who <laughs> is just, like, I can't tell if he's imaginary or not. Oh. Um, maybe he is, maybe mm-hmm. he isn't. Um, but he's always just saying, like, ridiculous things and, like, lightening the mood. And Bruce is like, shut up. And he's just like, ah, da, 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 monkeys, am I right? I think he helps That's, him. That that last bit, dot, da, da, monkeys, am I right, is not far off from his whole character. <laughs> I think that he ha- probably has to enlist crazy Brad Pitt to help him because he o- he's the only one who's like... I'm crazy, but I know you're not crazy. That's that's, that's some good stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. He Just, also meets yeah. that chick who is used to be on that CW show called Revenge that my dad used to watch. Was she really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, but she meet, he meets her, and that's the love interest. Oh, that's interesting. He's all, maybe she's, she's also the, the scientist. She's the scientist, Kimmy. She's yeah. not just there to be, this is progressive, it's from 95. <laughs> this was directed by a woman. Men <laughs> loved us back then. Yeah. Well... That's what I think. Uh, also, 
I would like to say, I think the 12 monkeys situation. Yeah, I wanted to ask you guys about what you think that's all about. I don't uh, know if I know about why it's 12, mm-hmm. but he does, you know, Brad Pitt does for a hot second talk about, you know, we're all monkeys in this or something like that. And I think it's in reference to monkeys being test subjects mm. for stuff, you know, kind of like rats. Yeah. And how we're not in control of our own destiny and how it's all just a big matrix. That's this is a, actually a matrix prequel. That's some good kidding. shit. <laughs> I'm like really like mad if I don't know something culturally. Like, is it that I don't know like what a 12 monkey is? Like, you know, like, oh. like I'm going to be annoyed if it's an idiom or something like that I just don't know about. I don't believe so. Okay. And I don't believe maybe I missed it or like. I don't know, it just didn't stand out to me, but I don't believe there's an explanation for the number 12. Oh, that's frustrating. Except for the 12 might be like 12 members. That's the only thing that I, I could say. I thought that was or true. something like a little biblical. But again, like with the, if there, if 12 does mean like members, they still don't explicitly tell me that. I'm just yeah. kind of trying to put things together. Just like in the trailer, I thought that they were doing like flashes and I feel like there might have been like 12 of them. And then the, mm. the, this is happening. Were Flash. there real monkeys in the trailer? No. Yeah, there was a monkey. There was like a capuchin monkey. <laughs> Why do you know species of stuff? I know this because <laughs> I used to have a movie. Guys, she's going to be so embarrassed when she finds out that was a racist monkey. <laughs> <laughs> is that also a type of monkey? What are you guys saying? <laughs> there was this movie I watched where the little girl, she's so cute, she wears overalls and a snapback hat. Oh, backwards. that's monkey trouble, and that's Laura Birch. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. And she Stop. has a capuchin monkey that they're trying to steal. And they say yeah. that word? Yeah, I think She's so. like, this is my capuchin monkey. Well, she looks it up. She's capuchin like, sounds like another word for, like, hoo-ha. What, what, kind of, what kind of monkey are you? Oh, you're, you look like you're a capuchin monkey. A vagina monkey. <laughs> exactly. Anyways. Um, it's the small kind that people have for pets sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, like in, like in Friends, the one Ross has. That's probably a capuchin. Yeah. It makes it sound like like a, what's that like nice hand, a Birkin handbag. Birkin? <laughs> <laughs> then that sounds like Merkin. Like, oh, this God. Is, <laughs> it's all so sexual. This is my designer monkey. Um, I could be wrong, but it seemed kind of like, uh, was the poster like a barrel of monkeys monkey? And so, like, is it, like, just the linking of the virus? Like, it's, like, the 12-strain oh. virus. I don't know. Okay. Um, the, the logo thing does kind of look like they're all linking arms, yeah. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to get into this movie. I think I maybe have, like, one or two sprinkly fun facts in there, but mostly I'm going to front-load you with a bunch and then end you with a bunch because it's just easier that way. The director of this movie is named Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam, other things that he has done, which I think... It, I wrote down the three most notable in my mind. Uh, one is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which oh. I found very interesting because that was another one I was considering explaining. So I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, I've seen that. Oh, we could maybe... Have you seen it? No. Okay. Yeah, so I was considering that one. I just thought that was funny that that happens to be him as well. Um, another one being The Fisher King. Oh. Which is very cool. And then the last one, which is just kind of crazy. He seems like he's into crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Wow. Yeah. So this guy's got like a pretty... What a weird career he's ...well-versed list here. Um, Hmm. Interesting fact that ties into the Fisher King. This guy's a little bit lengthy, but basically Terry Gilliam met 
Bruce Willis when he was casting the Fisher King because he auditioned for the role that um, Jeff Bridges that Jeff Bridges has, and uh, Terry Gilliam was impressed by Bruce from seeing him in Die Hard, not because of most of the movie, but he really loved the sensitive part toward the end when he's pulling glass out of his bloody feet and talking about loving his wife. Aww. Uh, yeah, he was impressed with that scene, and then he found out that that part was ad-libbed by Bruce Willis, Aww, which was very yeah. interesting. I did not know that. Terry Gilliam wanted Jeff Bridges for this role because he loved working with him so much on The Fisher King, mm -hmm. but the studio pushed him to get a bigger star, and he ended up casting Bruce Willis. Funny thing about after he cast Bruce Willis is that apparently he gave Bruce a list of Willis acting cliches that he was not allowed to use. Wow. Yeah. So I feel like that was part of his caveat of like, fine, I will cast Bruce Willis because I do think he's a good actor. Here's a list of things you can't do. That's so funny. That what funny? were some of them? Do you know? I don't know. What do you think some of them might be? Well, I will say, I mean, the, the thing I love and have a passion for Bruce Willis for, obviously, is Die Hard, and that one is so like, I'm the quippy quipster, and yeah. he has a tone that he uses in that, and that tone is completely gone in this movie. Okay. He doesn't have... They gave it to Brad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have something, as the director actually said in an interview I watched, he doesn't have this exterior to protect himself, this like exterior of making jokes. Oh, cool. So okay. he's more vulnerable in this movie. Before we talk about the movie, I just wanted to tell you the original tagline, which was changed because it was considered confusing, and I had to read it about three times before I realized what they meant to say, because yeah, this tagline's horrible. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The future is in the hands of a man who has none. Has no future. Yeah. But it sounds like he has no hands. He has no hands. <laughs> so it's like, it makes it sound like it's this movie about a time traveler with no hands. I really wish the, ti or the tagline was something just like, the future is in the hands of a monkey. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> okay. Movie time. It opens with an old school, like, Matrix-style computer, because it's the 90s, that uh, is typing, and it types up, Five billion people will die from a deadly virus in 1997. The survivors will abandon the surface of the planet. Once again, the animals will rule the world. Mm. And then after all that, it says at the bottom, this like, as in, this is like a quote from, it says, excerpts from interview with clinically diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, April 12th, 1990, Baltimore County Hospital. So close to being my birthday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, sad. <laughs> After we get that little bit, the movie is set up with the title card with the, the symbol of the 12 monkeys, and it's got this song we're going to hear often that's very it sounds like an accordion maybe or like i'm not an expert but that's the closest thing i can think of that's probably what it is it sounds very circusy makes mm -hmm. you think of monkeys basically oh i can picture it you know yeah yeah it makes it, goes, it pretty much it's yeah. making you picture the little monkeys with symbols love it <laughs> now we see a shot which very clearly is hazy so it looks like it's meant to be a flashback of a little kid, maybe eight, ten, something around that age, and he sees a man in a Hawaiian shirt with long hair falling down on the ground. Ooh. And we see a woman running after that man in terror, like, oh no, so-and-so fell down, right? Then we get Bruce Willis is introduced. As I've said before, his name is James Cole. 
and he's waking up in his present. So it's clear that that was either a memory or a dream or something that oh. he had. Uh, so he's the little kid in whatever this thing is. Yeah. He's now in a very Matrix-esque looking world. And by that, I mean the real world in the Matrix, how everything's just gross and ugly and dull. It looks very kind of steampunk, but not fun. It's just like <laughs> dull and sad. Yeah. And he's sharing um, like a bunker with this other guy. And he says, oh, while you were sleeping, they called you up to go volunteer, which we don't really know what that means, but they seem worried about it, thinking that people do not get, come back from volunteering. Yeah. They never see these people come back, and they kind of make jokes about it, too. Like, oh, they're all up in the, like, top floor having a good time, whatever. So he suits up in this scary outfit that's, like, all made of latex that they show <laughs> briefly in the trailer. And then he puts on, like, a kind of like a, not a space-looking suit, but, like, a hazmat-looking suit. It's a big plastic bubble-looking thing. Mm -hmm. And they, like, hose him off and everything. And he goes up to the surface. So they all live underground in this present. And he goes up to the... They also, I don't believe in the movie, they explicitly tell us what year this is. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're going to find out where in relation it is. And there is online, it says what year it's supposed to be, but that doesn't really matter. Yeah, so he goes up to the surface. And up there, it's like he opens a little... What? Oh! oh what, what? You said you said humanity left the Earth's surface, and I was like, are they all just like floating up in the sky? Yeah, they went underground. I know, which the is the worst place to go. Isn't that funny? Because when I, because I've seen this movie one other time, but it was a long time ago. So when it says they left the surface of the Earth, yeah. and then we see him in this weird utopia, I thought that meant we went to another planet. Mm. But then what it, yeah, what it meant is they went underground. Yeah, I was like, how do they have the technology to go to live on another yep. planet, but not? free themselves from a couple of monkeys. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay. it's still pretty crazy that the last, like, sliver of humanity was able to come together and go underground. Yeah, definitely. And survive. Um, yeah, so he's up on the surface now, in this little time that he's walking around, and we don't really know what he's looking for at this moment, but we see both a bear and a lion that he has interactions with, um... It's not like, it's not really even that thrilling. It's just, they're just around because mm -hmm. like it says, animals rule now. So they're around and then he grabs a gross spider off of a web for a sample. He also sees a gross little cockroach somewhere and grabs that for a sample. So it just kind of seems like he's up there to get stuff for them to study because they would like to come back to the surface one day. Mm -hmm. This is also in the movie when we see a thing pop up that says, inspired by the film... La Jetée. So, Enchant en <laughs> Enchant en bleu. So, um... <laughs> I do love how I said that. <laughs> I think about that all the time. It's like, what's it? What's it? Oh, Enchant en bleu. It's called... It's called... <laughs> yeah, La Jetée. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but it sounds good. How do you spell? L-A space La J-E-T-E. La Jette. La Jette? La Jetty. <laughs> I, I think that's actually what it when I Le was looking, when I was looking it up I think it literally was like it, I Le think jay. it does mean jetty oh um, but obviously yeah so the jetty is what the short film's called and I will tell you about the plot of it at the end because I don't want to okay. tell you similarities and stuff before you know what's so happening. these are like opening credits things and that's just one of the opening credits yes and okay. I was like oh crap it's kind of like how when we were watching Jojo Rabbit I go oh yeah this is based on a book and that's I was crazy. like gosh I have to read that book yeah and I've regretted it ever since. <laughs> Uh, we also see as he's walking around, he wipes some snow off of 
I don't know what it is, like a like a street sign or something, and spray painted on it is the 12 monkeys symbol, and it says, we did it. Mm. Now he's back. <gasps> da, 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 what's it mean? This is a Planet of the Apes sequel. No. Like, like animals. Apes are not monkeys, and you should know that. <laughs> like, <laughs> animals, like, gained, like, Oh, you think they're going to talk and stuff? Like, they're like, mm. we're going to rule the world. I we're going to eradicate <laughs> human beings. <laughs> Wouldn't so. that be funny if, like, you know how at the end of Split, the, the big reveal is that it's a sequel? What yeah. if at the end of this, the big reveal is that it's a sequel to Planet of the Apes? We see Caesar wearing, like, a tuxedo, and he's like, got him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Also, are you suggesting that the monkeys spray-painted that? Is that what you were going <laughs> to Well, I just don't think that humans... Versus humans. Like, I don't think that there's mm. this section of humans that are like, animals, you know, no, I, I don't think that PETA's like, we're gonna kill everybody else. <laughs> Including ourselves. No, I think what the spray paint meant was like, look at us, we're disgusting, we did this. Like, this is our fault. Is what it oh, seemed like. I think it's in victory. Like, I thought it was like, stop the monkey virus. And then somebody was like, we can't because we did it. <laughs> okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I we are just seeing it, so any theories are valid. I mean, to be honest, that's a lot to fit on a stop sign. And also, like, <laughs> do your art somewhere else. Like, it's not like, stop the virus. We did it. It, it wasn't on a stop sign. Oh. I said it was on, I don't even remember, but I think it was like a type of street sign is what I said. Okay, yeah. so it was just it like, wasn't like it wasn't like stop and then so, okay. yeah <laughs> stop was not involved like stop the monkeys we no. did <laughs> no 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 okay <laughs> no I think that it was just like shaming humanity like this is your fault or okay. something let it let it be whatever you think right now he's back underneath the the um, surface of the earth and we see the board of scientists the ones that sent him up there to volunteer in quotes. Uh, and they're like, all right, cool, thanks for doing that. And then the security guards that are holding him, they scan a little barcode tattoo on his neck, and they go, this is James Cole. He's in prison for violent crime and disregard of authority. It's very vague on purpose. They don't really say what he did, so that's the answer. Oh. He's a violent dude. He probably, like, beat up some cops or something. I don't know. Maybe more than once, because they say he's doing 25 to life. So maybe Ooh. he killed someone. And this board of scientists is looking at him, and they're like, we're not scared. Let him in. Um, we also see a little pan over to a wall in this room that's got a whole bunch of articles posted up. It's basically giving us some setup for what happened at, on the surface of the Earth. So it says, and it's, it's pretty quick. You don't have time to really take it all in. But one of them says, clock ticking, no cure yet. And then one of them says, too late for cure. <laughs> <laughs> and then... We see a picture of Christopher Plummer on one of the articles. I saw his name in the credits. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we see Christopher Plummer. When we go, we cut back to the scientists and they're basically like, we trust you. It's fine. Who cares? You're a criminal. Why don't you go back to the year 1996? So this is in the past. They're, they're sending him to the past. Okay. So they say, uh, go back to the year 1996. As we know, everybody died in 97. So they're like, you know, before the disease spreads, and they say, we want you to help us find the army of 12 monkeys, and we'll reduce your sentence. And he's like, all right, cool. And they pick him specifically because he's, like, one of the smartest guys in there. He proves he has a good memory and, like, knows all this stuff. And he did a good job, like, collecting his samples or whatever the heck. So now we get a cut over to, we're introduced to this new 
uh, main character, and she's a psychiatrist. Her name is Catherine Rayleigh, that woman you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And she gets a phone call, so she leaves wherever she is. We also get, like we said, they said, we're sending you to 96, but before we see Catherine Rayleigh... That it says 96? No. Oh. Before we see Catherine Rayleigh, it says Baltimore, April 1990. Okay? Oh. So we see her. She comes to a jail because she's been called in, and we find Bruce Willis rocking back and forth on the ground like a child. Uh, he's rocking back and forth. He's super bloody. Like, he looks like he's gotten in a fight, and he's shaking, and he's sweating. He looks horrible. And she goes in there. They're like, are you sure? And she's like, I'm fine. So she goes in there. She's asking him all these questions. And it it's clear that, and I'll get into this more later, later, but it's clear that this is a role where he is something different than what people are knowing him for. Mm -hmm. And in that cool show that I said I watched that Dirty Dancing documentary thing on, the Netflix show, they talk about how when Bruce got cast in Die Hard, he used to be Mr. Romance Guy. Mm -hmm. And then he got cast in Die Hard, and it was like, sick, now I'm Mr. Action Guy. So I think this is probably one of his first movies where he wanted to say, hey, look, I can do other stuff too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is fair. But there's something about it that I'm just not convinced by when he's... I'm not even watching it and I don't feel convinced. Yeah. It seems like the he wrong choice. have to really, like, pull it out. Yeah, know? and I... The, the problem with it is that I think this is at a time when... I think now that he's older, he is often just phoning it in, like, to make a paycheck. Yeah. And I think in this, he's not. I think he's really, really trying. But there's something about it where I just felt like... I can see that you're trying to make this your acting moment. Mm -hmm. It just... Maybe you won't feel that way if you watch it, but when I watched it, I was like, man, I really commend you for going this hard, but it just, like, I, I feel like I could see through it. He asks her what year it is. She says 1990. He says, it's supposed to be 1996. She goes, that's the future, James. And he says, no, 1996 is the past. So you get oh, that, what that scene well, is all about now. Bruce, like, you know that you traveled back in time and she doesn't know, so maybe choose your words more carefully. <laughs> Do you, exactly. Wait, Bruce Willis has already gone back in time? Yeah. But he went to the wrong time. And so he's like, no, I need to get to 96. And she's like, well, you're going to have to wait six years, buddy. <laughs> I totally missed him going back in time. So when I cut over to the psychiatrist, they don't show him traveling. Yeah. Oh. But they just show us now we're in 1990 and now we go see him. And he's fucked up for some reason. Yeah, and and we we're gonna get to that in like a second. But they basically say he got in a in a fight with some cops. Again, we don't know why, but he apparently wounded five cops. That's why he's all bloody because he just fought off five dudes. So I don't know what he was doing. He was probably like, "What year is it?" and flailing his arms about. And he's like, "1990, supposed to be 1996." Also, it's not that bad. Like, yeah, you like, don't have to out. wait. You have to wait six years. <laughs> Like, I mean, he doesn't know anybody. Like, I don't really know where they... Then go back in your time machine and tell them you put in the date wrong. How hard is it? The zero doesn't look like a six. He, if anything, he, the nine looks like a six. Yeah. One thing is, I don't think he has any control over the time travel. Yeah. I think the scientists are jumping him back and forth. So unless they realize they put him in the wrong year, he's kind of just stuck. Now we cut to he's being taken to the asylum because that's the whole reason they called her in was like, hey, you think you should take this guy? He seems crazy. So mm -hmm. she does. This is when we find Brad Pitt. 
He's sitting in a chair with his, like, hood up over his head, but it's not even his hood, it's like a collared shirt, and he's kind of turtling oh, onto it. And my he, students do that all the really? time. <laughs> like, I'll turn around and they're all just like, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, so he, like, pops out, and he's just, like, being crazy. I mean, you guys saw that one little clip where he's like, yeah. they're out of their minds, or whatever. Yeah. And I think that this is the exact difference between trying your hardest and succeeding. Like, it's kind of... I feel like Bruce is trying so hard, and it's just not working for me, whereas Brad is trying so hard, and I'm obsessed. Yeah, because yeah. it's over the top, and it's what the character calls oh, for. And it's so good. He also just has, like, a natural affinity for, like, for delving into that kind of, like, yeah. neurotic, eccentric, you know, even yeah. as in his cooler roles. That's nice. Yeah. Um, so he wasn't... Definitely Bruce is, like, with a way bigger star at this time. Mm-hmm. I would much rather be watching Brad. Yeah. Um, while they're at the asylum, something that's cool that starts happening and happens a lot throughout the movie, so I'll tell you some of them, is that there are TVs on all the time, everywhere, and they, and this isn't like a plot device, but there's often shots of TVs that have something to do with the motifs of the story or like what's going on at the time. So when we're in the mental institution, there's like a Looney Tunes cartoon going oh. on. It's not specifically Looney Tunes, but it's that kind of zany, crazy type oh, okay. of thing. I was going to say, if it's Looney Tunes, that director was probably so annoying and was like, I'm a genius. <laughs> no, it was, it was just characters being bonkers, like, okay, you know, yeah. like the woodpecker pecking its head against the wall, that kind yeah. of energy. There's then this man who comes up to James after we've had Brad like give him a little crazy guy tour that's just awesome also brad pitt's name is jeffrey goines for the record <laughs> and they refer to him as goines often ew yeah um sounds like gonads <laughs> yeah <laughs> everything's sexual today goines yeah yeah so jeffrey uh so this guy another patient comes up to james and he basically says like Oh, they say that I'm mentally divergent because I have this very convincing reality where I go to outer space and I do this and this and I'm like a prince. I don't remember what he says, but it's this crazy world. And he goes, and it's so convincing to me. But I know that here is the real world. Do you have mental divergence? And obviously James is like, nah, bitch, my stuff's real. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So then we get uh, a very similar dynamic to the board of scientists in the future, which is a board of psychiatrists evaluating James. And they're asking him questions, and of course he's kind of doing what looks like the crazy guy thing of trying to explain to them what's going to happen, like, this disease is going to wipe everyone out, you know about the army of the 12 monkeys? Of course you don't, they haven't happened yet, you know, he's going on this whole thing, and he says, I need a phone call, they're trying to ask him more questions, he said, no, I need a phone call, just give me one phone call. It's clear this is, like, the number of someone who's going to prove he's right, right? So he calls, and it's just some lady's house. And she answers, and she's with all of her kids and stuff. And she's like, scientist, huh? What? What are you talking about? You're stupid. And he goes, ugh, of course, like, I'm in 1990, not 1996, so the phone number's not going to work. And so, obviously, he has to stay in the place. Mm-hmm. He's now... In the bedroom area with, like, all the inmates, and Brad is awoken and (laughs) wants to talk to him. He even, like, (laughs) he climbs on top of another inmate's bed, like, and steps all over him to get over to where James is. Nice. Which is awesome. And uh, James is playing with a spider. There's several spiders in this movie. Not gonna see it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like a ton, but it's more. I was promised monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) Three spiders, 12 monkeys. 
Yeah, so he grabs the spider. It's like a big boy, too. And he grabs it, um, James does, and he's like kind of playing with it, and he's holding it in his hand, and he's trying to figure out where to put it. And then he eats the spider. This big old spider. He just swallows the spider. I James can't... or Jeffrey? James. <gasps> I can't react to this. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get a little explanation, but yeah, he swallows. Oh, it's because it's a delicacy in his world. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, caviar! I he wasn't try collecting to specimens; he was collecting appetizers. Yeah, he was eating <laughs> snacks. They were like, "Go up there and get us a bear." And he comes back. He's like, "Didn't see one." <laughs> they sell those cockroaches for millions down under. And he looks down. And he's like, "I got what I wanted." <laughs> uh, yeah, he like snaps off each leg and goes mm, like that. Um, so yes, he eats the spider, and when he's talking to Jeffrey, Jeffrey is going on and on about, because Jeffrey, of course, believes whatever James says. He's like, oh, whatever you say is probably true, dude, and he's like, everyone's gonna die of some germ. Did you know that the first guy who told people about germs, they said he was crazy. He was like, these things in the air, like, they can hurt you, and everyone was like, you're crazy, man. (laughs) Go fuck yourself, Louis Pasteur. (laughs) Is that who figured out germs? No, but he pasteurized milk. He's like, all you guys are drinking germs. Oh, I see. I was like, how do you just know that? Trivia queen. (laughs) And he goes, "Um, yeah, I once went to a place to get um, a burger, and the guy dropped it on the ground and picked it up, and I was like, guy, there's germs on that. And this guy said, I don't believe in germs. Is this a Kayleen story or is this from the movie? This is from the movie. Okay. No, 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 no. This is from the movie. <laughs> I was lost for a second. Yeah, Jeffrey tells that story about oh, okay. the guy being like, I don't believe in germs. And he's like, so who's to say? Like, one minute people think you're crazy, the next minute germs are real, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's some themes to think about there. That's all I'm saying. Do you guys remember learning about those mites that live on our eyelashes? Yes, I do. <laughs> oh, no. Is Kimmy just now learning about this? No, I know about okay. it. I just don't You're like wiping them off right it. now. <laughs> Good. Fuck those mites. <laughs> Don't they, like, clean bacteria, though? I don't care. <laughs> I, I didn't give them permission to dwell on my eyeballs. <laughs> like, I can't see them, so they don't exist. I mean, I'd rather not get pink eye or whatever, so hey, little buddies. Like, well, thank you. <laughs> oh, and it's so nice. At all times, I have a million friends. Aww. <laughs> You're never alone, you guys. <laughs> you have eye mites. Jeez. Um. <laughs> yes. So... Anyway, after that little, you know, spiel about the germ guy, he says something along the lines of, there's no right or wrong, just majority rules. Yeah, that's fucking true. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Who's to say people are crazy? Like, what if there, if there were more crazy people than, quote, sane people, we'd be the crazy ones because Mm -hmm. they can take over then. After he says there's no right or wrong, just majority rules, he starts acting like a loon and being so loud, so then the orderlies come in to get him, and it's like, oh no, shoot, I didn't mean to be loud, I'm sorry! And then they, like, drag him out, and he goes, when my father finds out I'm here, he'll be so mad, and he's gonna transfer me out of this place. Okay? And my father hears about this. My father hears about this. Christopher Plummer hears about this? (gasps) I'm all shoulders! (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So there's a show playing on the TV, and it's like the next day or whatever. There's a show playing on the TV that's called Monkey Business. And um, they're watching it, and this is kind of causing Jeffrey to go on this rant where he's latching onto the word monkey, and he just keeps saying it and getting in people's faces. He's like, monkey, monkey. And he moves this guy over, and he's really annoying this other patient. And he's like, monkey, because he wants to sit next to James. And then he goes, monkey, monkey key and pops a key out of his hand 
and gives it to James, who is severely drugged. And I don't really know why. They don't show us, like, why the orderlies drugged him up so much, but James is, like, no bueno. He's, like, drooling and stuff level. And so um, Jeffrey hands him the key, and he's like, get out of here, dude. Like, I'll create a distraction because he believes it. And he's like, yeah, but he really is drugged. And so as Jeffrey's creating this distraction, he's having the hardest time escaping because he has to just kind of like mumble around. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But it's on Jeffrey's terms and Jeffrey's creating a distraction. So he's like, go now. He has six years to kill. Like, (laughs) I mean, yeah. Stay and get free housing and food for five and a half years and then get out. That's true. And so, um, as he's like, he gets out the door of this room and closes it behind him. People aren't noticing because of the distraction. And then he's like slowly making his way. You know, a couple things happen along the way, whatever. Um, anyway, he like almost makes it out of there, but they do end up finding him and restraining him. And they put him in a room where he's like restrained on a bed. Okay. Oh, oh. (laughs) Now we get our first scene of several where people are going to shit on the fact that Rayleigh, the psychiatrist, is a woman. Mm. And I don't think that in this scene they necessarily say that, but it's literally a room full of men being like, you idiot woman, all you did was drug him up. You should have had him in restraints. And it's like, I don't even know why he was drugged so much, let alone he shouldn't be in restraints. And then they go back to his room and he's gone. We get another flashback to that scene we saw of the kid. So we're getting a little bit more, right? Mm -hmm. So we see the kid's eyes again. It's from the kid's perspective. And he's with his parents, just so you know. He's not like a kid by himself. He's with his parents. We see this like wacky suitcase that's got a bunch of stickers on it. And I'm sure they make it that way so we can remember what it looks like. So there's this wacky suitcase with stickers on it. There's a man in a yellow coat with a long blonde ponytail who is carrying this suitcase. Um, this is not the same man we saw earlier, just to clarify. This is not the man that fell. It's a different man. And he's running, and he turns, and it's Jeffrey Goins. Oh. Now we see, um, we basically get a little... It's it's really not confusing, but I feel like in an explanation, I want to make sure you guys aren't confused. We see now how Bruce got out of the restraints. Mm -hmm. So it's back to when he was initially put in the restraints. And we don't actually see him, like, get out of them. But he hears a voice of a a man, but the man is very, like, sneaky sounding. Hi, Bob. And he keeps calling him Bob, which is not his name. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Bob, what you doing in there? (laughs) Or whatever. (laughs) And he's like, who are you? And he goes, maybe I'm in the cell next to you. Or maybe I'm in your mind. Or maybe I'm in the room with the scientists. And he's like, well, which one is it? And he's like, (laughs) me. And then uh, we're back in the present. So we don't know who that guy was, but we're back in the present. And by the present, I mean Bruce Willis is present. Oh, they brought him back to the future. Yes, they brought him back. Back to the future. Okay. Um, And they're like, well, you effed up. And he's like, I'm sorry, don't you mean you effed up? You sent me to 1990. And they're like, ugh. (laughs) Jeez. We'll... We'll give you another chance, I guess. And it's like, I'm sorry, wasn't this your fault? Yeah. And so they're like, here's a bunch of pictures. Do any of these things look familiar? So we see, like, we as an audience are not seeing any pictures that look familiar to us yet. Um, But then we see 
a picture of a guy who we only see it for like one second, but we know this is Brad Pitt. Oh. And so then he goes, wait, 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 go back to that last picture. And it's Brad Pitt, like at what looks like a protest or a picket line or something. Mm. And he's like, okay, I know that guy. And they're like, oh, well, then you need to go back there. We're sending you back to the correct year this time, 1996, so that you can go investigate further. It's all kind of vague. So they send him back. Guess where they send him? Same spot. Nope. 91. No. Do Do you remember the... I remember one of you reacted to it in the trailer. There's a part where she goes like, that's from this year. He goes back to World War One. Oh, God damn it. I knew that. <laughs> yeah. He goes back. How to- do you have bullet wounds from World War One in your body? Yeah. So he goes back to World War One, and he's like naked or like just in underwear. And he's like, what the heck's happening? And he sees his friend from the beginning of the movie, the one he was in a cell with. And he's like on a stretcher being carried away. Oh my god! And it's like, how'd you F up this badly that we are both in World War One? Yeah. So we don't see how this happens, but we do see um, that he gets shot in the leg. As you know from the trailer, that's going to come back later. Okay, now we're at a museum. And Rayleigh, the psychiatrist, she is giving a speech about World War One. I. I literally don't know why. I don't know why. But of course, they have to tie everything together. So she's talking about... Um, when insanity was invented. Pretty much. <laughs> They're talking about... Um, like, people's predictions of the world getting wiped out, like, when they they think that there's going to be, like, more chemical warfare or, like, another bubonic plague. Something that's going to wipe us out because that's, like, cyclical and something's supposed to wipe us out, blah, blah, blah. And then we see a photo of Jose on a stretcher, the, the friend from the beginning. So stupid. And she's like... This soldier experienced the craziest thing. He was a French soldier, but then all of a sudden, he just knew how to speak English. I don't know if they say French. (laughs) I think it was French. Anyway, they're like, but all of a sudden, he knew how to speak English. Isn't that crazy? War's crazy. And then she talks about this thing called... (laughs) She's got to kind of tie it all together. That's how crazy war is. (laughs) That war was so crazy, it was insane. We could have committed that war. (laughs) So, uh, then she talks about this thing called the Cassandra Complex, which I don't know if this oh, is... Oh, yeah. Do you know about this? Yeah. This is real? Okay, cool. Just want to make sure. Um, but it's basically, like, the essence of what she says is it's, like, having too much knowledge and not knowing what to do with it or how to explain it. hmm We then see, in the audience of this, um, little... Whatever the heck it is. I don't know what people are coming to this little seminar. But it's, um, we see the guy, his... His real name in real life is David Morse. I don't believe his character has a name. I Do you know who this is? is? He's the murderer in Disturbia, and he's yes, also in the Green, Green Mile. Mile. I see him all the time, but I just always think of those two movies. So he's there, and he's watching from the back of the room, and he's just like, oh, ho, ho. And then he goes to get um, a book like that she wrote. This psychiatrist wrote a book, I guess, and he goes to get it signed, and a bunch of people are getting books signed from her. But he goes up to her, and he's like you know, what you said about the world getting wiped out, like, there is data that the human race isn't going to survive. Like, that's just how it goes. And she's like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like, I have other people's books to sign, right? She leaves. Anyway, she gets in the car. Who's in the back seat? James Cole. Yeah. He came to find her. And he kidnaps her. He says, we gotta go to whatever. I don't remember where he tells her to go, but he's like, we're going! And she's obviously terrified, and then she realizes who it is. Is it now 1996? 
It is. It so is actually 1996. So now she's like, it's that guy from six years ago. Okay. Yes, and I believe she clarifies that it's 1996, and he's like, thank God, I've had the worst time. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> My time travel experience was through Delta time travel. <laughs> Um, and so he kidnaps her and he's like, you gotta drive over here. Obviously, we know from what we've seen that he's not gonna harm her, but she's terrified and she still sees him as the patient from six years ago and mm -hmm. nobody even knows where he went. He just escaped and was never seen again, right? Yeah. So she's like really concerned. And then this is my favorite moment of his acting. We get him in the car and he's, it's very clear that he's vulnerable and afraid because of all the stuff he's been through and he's like trying to save the world mm -hmm. and he's like, oh wait, 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 what's that song? Can you put it back? And it's um, that song like, I see trees of green. Oh, what a wonderful world. Yeah, that one. And he's just in the back seat, like he looks like he's about to cry. He's kind of looks like a little boy who's like, oh, music, like. I'm in a car listening to music. You know, he doesn't say that, but that's what you read on his face. And I love this Aww. scene. I think it's adorable. But obviously she's still freaking out in the front seat. Um, we also get a little bit of setup that people notice she's gone. Like her friends notice she's gone. And somebody actually left her a voicemail that she never got to hear that was like, that James guy came asking about you. Watch out. <laughs> but too late, obviously. And now we get again that scene from... I, I think it's fair to say it looks like it's an airport, this flashback we keep seeing. So um, anyway, they're in an airport in this flashback and we see um, the woman who's running after the first man who fell on the ground and she's got blonde hair and we see that her um, face, it's the psychiatrist's face. Okay. And the psychiatrist has brown hair, for the record, so it's like, why do you have blonde hair? What's going on? But we now see that it's her. And he wakes up, and he goes over to her, and she, he's, like, restrained her on the bed. Not to do anything to her, but so she can't escape while he's sleeping. Mm -hmm. He goes over to her, and he's like, holy crap, I just had a dream that I have all the time, and I realize it's you in the dream. And she's like, I'm sure you're just projecting that, like, you're imprinting me into your dream that's not real. And he's like, no, it's definitely always been you, but, like, I'm only now realizing it because I know who you are. Yeah, and did she's your husband like, have a heart attack in an airport one time? <laughs> yeah. And she's like, yeah, okay, crazy, right? And then we also have another thing with the TV is the TV is playing some cartoon where they're talking about the cartoon character time traveling. Mm. And now they're in the car again, and there's a story on the radio talking about this little boy who's trapped in a well. And James goes, oh, man, I remember this story. Like, this is the first time as a kid that I remember feeling actually afraid. And she's like, what are you talking about? Right? And he goes, well, I just remember thinking, like, that little boy must be so scared. I hope they can get him out of the well. And, uh, and she's like, well, how could you know this? Like, this is happening right now. And she, and he goes, well, it ended up being fine. It turns out it was a hoax and the kid was hiding in a barn nearby. And then he tells her about the army of the 12 monkeys and that they have the knowledge that the 12 monkeys is a group that spread the virus. Oh. So the 12 monkeys yeah. is like some kind of organization or group or something. And they're the ones responsible for this virus that wiped out everybody. Um, he says they created the germ in pure form, and before they released it or whatever, before they mutilated it, he needs to go get it and take it to his presence so that the scientists can analyze it. Like, that's his big goal. He tells her all this. 
He then is like, oh my gosh, stop here, because he sees spray paint on the wall that looks like it's part of the 12 monkey symbol. And he gets out of the car, and she's the driver of the car. <laughs> and he's like, oh, stop here. And he gets out to go look at the symbol. She waits for him? And she doesn't drive away. So clearly she must be intrigued by whatever he's doing because she decides to get out and go look with him. Hmm. So she must no longer feel threatened after, like, this time they've spent in the car together. That's totally how women work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, which I was like, all right, lady, you had your chance to escape. Like, you chose this now, you know? So she goes with him, and he's tearing all these posters down off the wall, and there's tons of 12 monkey symbols. Like, yeah, so it's the same symbol over and over again. He's like, holy crap, we must be close by. And then we hear the voice of that guy. Oh. The the creepy guy, right? I don't even know how I did my voice before. It's going to change every time. (laughs) The creepy guy is like, it's me, the creepy guy. And then we actually see him. And he looks like a homeless man. But who's to say? And he's saying these, I don't even remember what exactly, but he's saying cryptic stuff about 12 monkeys. He's like, something, something, the 12 monkeys, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he goes, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> Trances away. And they're like, um, walking around looking for where they're supposed to go. And we see this image of a giant pig's head. It's not a real pig's head. It's like a statue on a building. And we as the audience recognize this because we saw it in the series okay. of photos from earlier. Okay. So it's like, oh, snap, this must be important. And it's like above a liquor store where all the windows, you can't see inside the liquor store. It looks abandoned. So they go inside and they find these three kids. Not not kids, but like 18-year-old-ish. And <laughs> this part is so funny. I wrote down this quote because it's ridiculous. But they go in there and of course, James is like, tell me about the 12 monkeys! Ah! And then the psychiatrist just goes, he's disturbed, he's dangerous, do whatever he says. And it's like, <laughs> well, then why are you following him still? Yeah. Like, what is happening? And then, one of the three people, he goes, ugh, I knew Goines would get us into this. Oh. And we find out that Jeffrey Goines is the leader of the 12 monkeys. So I was going to say during halfway predictions. Oh, too late. Mm. <laughs> uh... And we also find out that you were right. His dad is Christopher Plummer. Okay. I said that. You looked at me. I thought you did. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure I did. Um, they say something about how they've, like, cut off their ties with Jeffrey because he got bored of just, like, picketing and doing flyers and all that kind of stuff. And now he wants to do things that, quote, actually create an impact. Okay. Uh, we find out that the reason that his whole, like, animal rights group, which is what 12 Monkeys seems like, is, like, we don't like the testing of animals, or, like, testing oh on gosh, animals. Oh my gosh, Kimmy, it was a PETA thing. Oh, it was a PETA thing. <laughs> they don't like the testing on animals, which is what Jeffrey's dad does. Like, he uh. tests out, like, antibiotics and stuff on animals, mm-hmm. which is why, anyway, so it's this big struggle of, like, do we like humans more? Do we like animals more? That's kind of like the struggle between Jeffrey and his dad, kind of. Um, because his dad's like a scientist trying to look for cures for things. They've left, and they're like, well, now we gotta go find Jeffrey if he's the leader of the 12 monkeys. So they go hide their car in the woods, and <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we're gonna go walk to the house. So they are like, we gotta go find Jeffrey, and it's clear that he has... So, like been released or whatever from probably by his dad's oh, connections. Oh, my father will hear about this. Yeah, yeah. probably um, because that's how he was able to start the Twelve Monkeys and stuff because he's not in the asylum anymore. Mm. And I think he might even be pretending to be 
okay so that he can go on with whatever his plans are. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe he's like, yeah, no, totally, all the things I said are crazy. Oh my gosh. Okay. We're actually almost at halfway, so if you want to save I whatever just... you're thinking about. Okay, yeah. They they go to the woods because she's like, you've had this bullet in your leg the entire time we've been hanging out. Do you <laughs> want me to take it out? Because I guess psychiatrist, she's also she's, a surgical doctor. she's a woman. Women can do this <laughs> I stuff. I guess. When you learn how to knit, you know how to be in medical profession. I feel like All they're... women have combat <laughs> training, according to movies. I think what they want me to believe is she has her doctorate. She's a doctor, and it's like... Not the same thing. Well, also, she doesn't study, like, waves of human disasters. She apparently works in a clinic. Yeah. And she's out here, like, writing these books about World War One. Yeah, no idea. She's a renaissance She does everything. Well, I mean, honestly, if anything, this movie is like, women can do it all. (laughs) They know everything. So she's taking the bullet out of his leg. It's kind of like sexual tension. They seem to be... Super sexy when I pull bullets out of your leg. Yeah, mm, blood. Love it. And they, they're like having a good time. And um, she goes, you have to give yourself up. Then he starts to get irritated and like grabs her really forcefully and looks like he's gonna hurt her. And he's like, I'm sorry for this. And then the scene cuts. So we don't know what he's about to do or what's happening exactly. And it's the halfway point. Okay, so I'm I I wanna go big or go home. Alright. Here is my it. halfway point prediction. We're in the year nineteen ninety six right now. Yes. Nineteen ninety seven. Everything's going to hell because Brad Pitt is going to release that virus at the airport, where you should, obviously. Mm-mm. Like, of course you release it in an airport so that it travels yeah. all over the place. Because he wants for the world to just be run by animals again. Like, he thinks that they're better at everything, and so mm-hmm. they should just take it over. Which is, like... True. Like, calm down, PETA. <laughs> like, that is kind of their vibe. They're yeah, like, yeah. we need to just give it all back. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're animals, too. Leave us alone. Yeah, I can't help it. Um... Bruce Willis is a child in this airport watching it happen, watching mm-hmm. Brad walk by with the suitcase, watching Rayleigh, yes. the woman, yes. who now has blonde hair, yes. run to a man who is collapsing. Yes. That man is Bruce Willis. Okay. <laughs> okay. He's watching his future self yes. collapse. Because he's got the virus now, and it's like nothing was prevented, um, or or it was like he <laughs> Brad Pitt had the, the suitcase, but it's been swapped out because he knew what stickers were on it. He Ooh. knew what stickers were on it, so he swapped out the suitcases, and then he eats the entire shirt. <laughs> one to go down. I mean, that's dope. <laughs> I'm wondering if this is kind of like an arrival situation mm. where Bruce Willis has the memories of himself watching himself okay. because like time is, you know, a circle mm. and stuff like that. So I think it is Bruce like falling to the ground and like maybe he like takes the virus like on himself so that it doesn't spread. You said exactly what I said, just maturely. I said he eats it. (laughs) I don't know how he gets it, but, like, he's sacrificing himself. So basically you guys agree that it's going to be he's taking the virus so that it doesn't kill the world. That's what I feel like, and I also feel like that it it would be really cool if it is him that he's watching doing this, 
why Rally has blonde hair. He just thinks blondes are sexy, and they've fallen in love with him that year. Sure. Maybe uh, the reason Oh, no, why she's it's... disguising herself because they don't want Brad Pitt to see them. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She, okay. She's in a disguise. <laughs> okay. Maybe that's why he's saying sorry. For, he's gonna die. He's gonna die. <laughs> but I gotta turn you blonde. So that it works out with my vision. Um, no, funny. I think him saying sorry to her is just like, I think he headbutts her because he doesn't want her to be in danger. I think he okay. headbutts her because, like, they're, Do you think they're he's on just... their way to Christopher Plummer's house, and, like, he doesn't want to give it away or something. Or maybe they want to work with Christopher Plummer, but not with Brad. But, so, if he headbutts her, where do you, do you think he just, like, leaves her there, or what? Oh. Maybe, it sounds like he probably needs her still for something. Okay. You just need an ally in this situation. Yeah, that's a great stopping point, Kaylin, because it, like, really doesn't tell us what's happening. But mm-hmm. either way... They do work together. I, I do feel like they have to. Well, yeah, this sexual tension is happening. Like, they, <laughs> they gotta fall in love, and she's gotta be upset about his sacrifice and stuff, but he's like, mm. baby, I gotta do this for humanity. You said he's on the way to Christopher Plummer's house. Obviously, at some point, he's gotta interact with Brad Pitt again. Yeah. Predictions about that? To convince him not to do something bad, to convince him to disband the 12 monkeys... He's like, we're all monkeys here, man. Take the blue pill or the red pill. <laughs> oh, God. That's what Brad said. <laughs> Can you imagine if it was like the Matrix, but when you take the blue pill, you realize that you've been a monkey in a coma this whole time, <laughs> thinking you're a human? Anything else from either of you? Anything you haven't said? Brad Pitt is going to kill Christopher Plummer. Okay. His own father. Yeah. And uh, humanity's going to be saved, but he's not going to travel back. Because mm. because it was saved, so there is no future to bring him back. I mean, that's true. So what's funny is, like, <laughs> if you are thinking about this, and let's say you are Rally, and so it's like you go through, you do all this shenanigans, and the person that you're in love with is just like, well, now I prevented everything bad that's going to happen. And she's like, has to believe that everything he said was true, but it'll right. never come true. <laughs> Right, so you don't have the proof ever. Yeah, like yeah. like I could punch you both in the face right now and be like, it was to stop something that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just saved everyone on Earth's yeah, life. Yeah, because you guys are going to get mad at me for like a week. And yeah. within that week, I would have killed you. <laughs> or like, if he were to, say, kill someone to stop the virus, it's like, yeah. guys, I was justified in that murder. <laughs> right? Don't at me. Ooh, I wonder if that's ever been used as a defense. Like, Ooh. no, I did it because in the future, they're going to do something really I'm bad. sure. I mean, with, like, how many people hear voices, it's like, yeah. it's the voice told me they were going to do this thing. It's like, that's not grounds for murder. <laughs> yeah. Okay, moving along. We now see James at the fancy party, which is being held at Christopher Plummer's house. I Guys, I don't know what his name is. I'm sorry. I'm sure they know. say it. It's I'm Christopher just, It's Christopher Plummer. Um, he goes there and Jeffrey Goines is there and he's all like dressed up. Now he has long ass hair and it, it is currently in a ponytail. And he, um, in case you didn't know, he's a hippie. That's yeah. the biggest travesty of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> is him in a ponytail. Yeah. yeah. Also, I think he has like a contact in one of his eyes to make it look like he has a lazy eye, which just makes oh. him look a little bit more Does crazy. Does blink a lot because the character called for it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, he goes up to Jeffrey and he's like, 
you have to, you know, you, you can't do the thing that you're planning on doing. And he's like, hey, man, like, good to see you. <laughs> and he's like, no, you can't do it. Like, blah, blah, blah. And Jeffrey's like, you know, you, you were always talking about it. And he's like, I wish there was a germ that would wipe out all the humans in the trees. Like, you're so funny, man, that thing you said about that germ. You're crazy, dude. And it's clear that he is not any better than before. He's okay. just the He's the same. And, yeah, he's like, you're so funny, man. And then James, like, strangles him over the balcony. And Jeffrey thinks this is hilarious. He's <laughs> like, you can't stop anything that's going to happen. Like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Like, try to stop me. And then the security guards in the house are like, hey, you can't just choke the son of what's-his-face. <laughs> <laughs> and so then they, like, chase him. And they chase him all the way out to the woods where we find he put Rayleigh in the trunk of the car. And then she's, like, obviously really mad he put her in the trunk. She's like, don't put me in the trunk. And I'm still with you. (laughs) And I'm still not going to leave. Anyway, the cops, like, end up appearing at the woods because they they saw where he went. And the cops are there. And she's like, hey, over here, cops. Like, come get him. Cops. (laughs) And then she turns around and he's gone. Okay. He's gone. So he left her. Yep. So now she's, quote, free, because, you know, everyone was like, you've been kidnapped. And she's like, yeah, cool, I'm free. But I think her brain is still like, yikes, though. What if some of that was true or whatever? And then when she's in her apartment, like, with her friends, there's a a thing on the news. Did you hear about that well boy? That's literally what it is. Yeah. There's a thing on the news about the boy in the well, and she's like, oh, yeah, like, I hope they get him out. And they go, he was a hoax. He was in a barn the whole time. So then she's like, wait a second. And then she's like, goes into one of those like fits of crazy where she's like, I have a crazy idea, which this is like so far fetched. But she's like, goes into her room with her books for her lectures. And she's like, flipping through oh my all gosh. her stuff. Is there a picture of him in World War One. He was in that picture with Jose. Oh my god! In the background, and it's like a ridiculous photo where he's like reaching toward Jose, and he's being like carried away. And she goes, ah, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and she's like, oh my gosh. Anyway, now James is back in his present, and all the scientists are like dope, dude, like, you're free to go from prison, but we still live underground, and, like, you did so good, we know, like, you all the stuff. You didn't do anything. He found out, uh, like, all the stuff that he needed to know about... The creator of the, the virus? The creator of the virus, basically, and that's what they're excited about. Okay. And then he's like, holy crap, you guys are all in my imagination, none of this is real, I want to go back, like, I'm crazy. I'm a crazy person. Take me back to reality. I get that I'm crazy. Oh, sad. He thinks he's got that divergent thinking. Exactly. And they're like, what? No, like, you belong here, blah, blah, blah. And then um, he's like, no, I want to go back. I want to go back into the past. Like, I think I can actually stop it. Let me go back. And they're like, I don't know. Remember that thing you just said about how you were crazy and we were all fake? (laughs) And he's like, no, like, who said that? I want to go back. But he still for sure thinks that this is fake. Okay. Um, They test him to see if he's competent enough to go back by saying, because they're like, you're not in the right mind. And they say, okay, well, to prove it, do you remember all the locations that the germ spreads to? 
And he goes, it starts here, it goes here, 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 That's here, 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 here. That's how we get Philadelphia and probably France or whatever. Like, they know where it goes to, so that's, oh, that's why probably he ends stupid World War One. Yeah, so he's like, here, 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 here. He says a bunch of places. And they go, that is correct. Okay, you can go back. Rayleigh is calling Christopher Plummer. So this is like the first time we really, like, really get a scene with him. Okay. Pretty much. And <laughs> so she basically on the phone is like... And I wrote this down at this point, which I had kind of been feeling it the whole time, but she's a very stereotypical 90s strong female character. Mm -hmm. The way she speaks, it's just very like, she always seems on edge. It's very like, you have to listen to me. This is happening. I know what I'm talking about. I'm intelligent. And he's like, yeah, all right. Like, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And he hangs up on her and he goes, he goes women psychiatrists. Is that a joke? No, he says that to the guy in the room with him, which is the guy from the Green Mile. Okay. So he works with him now. I don't know if he always did, but at least in 1996, they work together. And he's like, that's crazy that she thinks we're going to create a germ to kill everyone. Like, I don't have access to that. Jeffrey doesn't have access to that. There's no way that's going to happen. And um, then this guy goes... You know, I attended one of her lectures once. I'm wondering if she fell to the Cassandra disease. Like, Mm. maybe she thinks, you know, these crazy things are going to happen that aren't going to happen. And uh, then Christopher Plummer says, I think we need to, like, get some increased security measures. I'm a little bit freaked out about this thing. That just seems like a not good, right? Now we see Jeffrey Goins is at that pig head liquor store place with those three people that said they deconnected with him, but I guess, I don't know, he got back on their good side or something. Okay. And uh, the psychiatrist goes back there to find him, and she's trying to get in, but they won't let her in, and she's like, you guys don't know what you're doing, like, you're gonna kill humanity, and she's trying to convince them, and we get another really awesome scene of Brad Pitt being Brad Pitt, just, Mm -hmm. like, doing awesome. And so that all happens. She's trying to get them to let her in. And Jeffrey is convinced that because he was in the asylum, that they studied his brain so much that they can literally predict what he's going to do. Cool. And he's like, she doesn't know anything about the future. She just knows everything I'm going to do before I do it. Like, this is so annoying. Whatever. Now, James appears. He has been time jumped back to 96, and she's so excited to see him because she believes him. Yeah. And she's like, oh, James, yes, thank you. Like, we got to fix the disease. And he goes, no, I'm going to turn myself in. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I am insane. You're right. I'm mentally divergent. I got to go. Yeah. And she's like, no, you're not. And she's trying to convince him otherwise. And she basically is like, this takes a long time, like, there's other stuff that happens in between, but she basically is like, the story you told me about the boy is true. How do you know that? And he tries to say, like, oh, I think I saw it in a movie once. That boy probably watched the same movie as me. And she's like, no, you knew that was going to happen. Also, the cops called me, and that bullet that, that I took from your leg is from World War One, and I saw you in a freaking picture from World War One. What, like, what do you say about that? And he's like... Okay, that's those are some pretty good arguments, right? And then she goes, you know what? I know how to prove if you're crazy or not. Let's try that phone number from earlier in the movie that he tried that wasn't working yet. Fun, fun, fun. So she calls it, but we don't see the phone call, and he's just, like, standing. It's She makes it at a payphone, so he's, like, standing waiting for her. Yeah. And she goes, oh, bless. We are insane. 
I called it and it's a carpet cleaning company. Oh, what? Like, oh, okay, I guess we are. And she thinks it's hysterical. She's like, thank God there's not going to be a virus that kills the whole world. And she goes, yeah, I just thought it was so funny and crazy. It was a carpet cleaning company that I left a silly message about like the army of the 12 monkeys and this and that and the virus and this and that. And he goes, as she's telling him what what she said, he's saying it with her. And she's like, wait, wait, wait. How do you know that? And he's like, they replayed your message to me. Mm. So we are not crazy. They got that message and the disease is still going to happen. So now that they know that they are not crazy, we see the 12 monkeys, um, which we, again, we don't see that there are 12 of them. So there might be like 12 in the entire group, but there's probably like maybe six of them right now that have captured Christopher Plummer. No. He's like got a friggin' like blindfold on and like he's gagged, but he knows his son's voice, even though his son's trying to disguise (laughs) his voice. And he's like, I know that's you. And he's like, no, it's not. And he's like, yes, it is. (laughs) Um... Then we go to a movie theater, and inside the movie theater is, um, is, uh, James and Rayleigh. And they are in there, and they're putting on disguises. Because they're about mm-hmm. to go do something where they need disguises, mm-hmm. right? Like a Hawaiian shirt and a blonde wig? Yes, they're in the movie theater, and she's, like, putting a mustache on him and stuff, too. And in the movie theater, a movie is playing. I'm going to tell you about the scene from the movie and see if you can tell just from this scene what it's from, okay? Mm. Uh, And I loved it in the context of this, but I feel like it's still going to make you roll your eyes. (laughs) So, like, I can't start with this or you're going to guess it right away. So I'm going to start with this part. There's a man and a woman in the movie. It's clearly an older movie. Okay. That's like, they're at a movie theater playing older movies. And um, they're looking at a bit of a tree. And by that I mean, like, if you were to cut... I know. A tree stump. Yeah, and it's like, so that you can see all the rings of the tree. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? So they're looking at this, like, sliver of a tree with all the rings on it, and basically the sliver of the tree has all these markings on it that says when different events in time happened. Mm -hmm. So it's saying, like, you know, this is when this war happened. This is when this thing happened. And she finds a little spot, and she goes, this is where I was born. And then she goes, and this is where I died. And it's basically talking about how, like, in a tree's life, we're just little blips of the tree's life. Yeah. Does this ring any bells to you? I've not seen this movie. You have seen this movie. I've seen this movie? Will this help? No, wait. (laughs) It sounds like... Oh, I'm so annoyed. (laughs) If I say this, I feel like that sounds like your impression of someone. Is that my impression of Nicolas Cage? No, no, no. like Sean Connery. No, it's, it's like... Is it Al Pacino? No, I always cast this person in my face. That's me doing an impression of you to an impression. What is that? And you heard me do an impression of this? And it's On an, the podcast, you did an impression. It's an older movie? Like, you is s- it black and white? No. It's not Christopher Walken. Her Christopher no. Walken's are like... No, 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 no. <laughs> It's an actor who was always cast in this man's films. Oh, it's Jimmy Stewart. It's Jimmy Stewart! <laughs> <laughs> that is what Jimmy Stewart says, and it's fucking Vertigo, and it's the scene when they're in the woods. Darn it, I have seen Vertigo! But it sucks so hard. I'm so happy that your recollection is, oh, it's Jimmy Stewart. Well, I see, I'm Jimmy Stewart. And it's funny because my brain went, 
oh, hey, that's Jimmy Stewart. Wonder what movie this is. And then they pan out and it's like Hitchcock 24 hour like movie yeah. festival or whatever. But then I think it does say, it says a lot of movies on the marquee, but I do think one of them is Vertigo. So I'm not that smart. No, that was Vertigo. Yeah. So it, it is for sure Vertigo. And then afterwards, when I was doing all my research, Vertigo comes up a lot in the research. So anyway, that's what the scene looks like. <laughs> and um, James is watching this. And he's looking at it, and he kind of seems like he's having an emotional moment. And she's like, what's going on? And he's like, I've seen this movie before. Like, I saw it when I was younger. And he says, the movie never changes, but every time you see it, it seems different because you were different. I thought that was beautiful, because I'm like, there's definitely... Yeah. Like, no, that's super that is true. beautiful. Like, sometimes I see yeah. movies where I'm, like, emotional at one part. And then I watch it again, and, yeah. and I'm like, wow, I never realized that part before, and that makes me emotional. Yeah. My favorite thing I have to say about either Titanic or Arrival is that mm. every time I watch it, I find something new to get emotional over. Exactly. Like, it just, every time, I'm like, I've never gotten sad over that thing in Titanic, but this time it's just hitting differently. Yeah. 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 So I thought that was beautiful. That and is. that's one of the, I mean, I'll say this later too, but that's one of the things about this movie that I probably like the most, is mm -hmm. that you'll be watching it like, what's gonna happen next in this time travel movie? And then they say something like that, and I'm just like... Well, damn! Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> yeah. So they put on their disguises, and their plan is, he says, I want to live here, and I don't know how to stop this thing from happening, so we should just, like, fly away together and try to live our life, because that life sucks. That future life, that sucks. And I want to be with you. So they go to the airport, and they have all this cash, so they're going to buy all their stuff in cash. As they're on their way to the airport, though, they're in a cab. The cab driver is the woman from Orange is the New Black who doesn't speak. Oh my gosh! Yeah, obviously she's much younger, and this is literally her only bit in this movie, is this part. But um, as they're driving, there's a ton of traffic, and they're worried they're not going to make it to their flight on time. And the cabbie says, well, that's because of the 12 monkeys. And they're like, what are you talking about? What? And she goes, oh, you guys haven't heard? This group of animal rights activists, this guy Jeffrey Goins, like his dad is the leader of this whole animal testing thing. They freed all the animals from the zoo and they locked him in one of the animal cages. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And they go, wait, that's what the 12 monkeys big plan was? <laughs> so that was the plan of the 12 monkeys the whole time. And they're like, oh my gosh, and they're cracking up because they realize, well, okay, I guess there's no apocalypse. Like, I guess we got it wrong or something. Or or it's not going to happen this time around. I don't know. And, and they say, I think it's going to be all right. So then they have the most awkward kiss ever in the airport. It's so <laughs> awkward and slow. And I was like, ugh. Like, they want us to be like, oh, they're in love. And it was so weird. It was so weird. I'm like, have you guys never kissed before? Do they, do those actors seem like they have chemistry throughout the rest of the movie? Uh, it doesn't sound like it. Kind of, no. It doesn't because feel like they've had a lot of time to establish their chemistry, really. They just seem like good friends to me. There was never tension except when you took the bullet out, but that scene lasts about one minute, so it wasn't even really growing tension. You had tension for one second, and then yeah. he looked like he was going to murder you. I don't... <laughs> it's so weird. Now, we see um, an up-close shot of that stickered suitcase, and we just see, like, 
it from the perspective of the suitcase, basically. We're just seeing it, like, bobbing along in the airport. James goes and finds a payphone and leaves another message at the carpet cleaner place that is saying to the future, it wasn't the 12 monkeys. I don't know who did this, but either way, I'm not coming back. Figure it out. Bye. Now we see a woman uh, behind the counter at the airport who works there, obviously, and she is reading um, the ticket for the person whose face we still have not seen, but we can only assume is Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. And they have their little stickered suitcase and the long ponytail, and we're like, okay, cool. And the woman is, like, looking at the, the flight itinerary, and she goes, oh my gosh, you're going here and here and here and here? All the places we know that the virus was. Yeah. And he's like, that's right, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, okay, cool. Seconds later, Bruce has just finished leaving that voicemail at the carpet cleaner place. And all of a sudden, Jose is in the airport. And he goes, hey, we got your message. <laughs> right? Because that's, that's cool. how time travel works. He goes, hey, we got your message. Here's a gun. And James is like, why do I need this gun? He goes, you're going to be a hero, man. Uh-oh. You got some work to do. You'll know what you gotta do, man. <laughs> and then, now we see, like, in real time, not in a flashback, baby James. Like, little boy James. Ponytail guy. Guess who it is? It is not Brad Pitt. Christopher it's Plummer? Christopher Plummer. No. It's Morse. Yep. Who? The guy from The Green Mile. Yeah. <gasps> I felt like he was a double crosser. Like, yep. I really was like, uh, you seem like the... the but, oh, that makes sense, because, like, Brad doesn't have anything together. Like, he doesn't have his life together. Yeah. Okay, so he did just free some monkeys and some zoo stuff, and then we have David Morse. Yep. Cool. And so he's there with the briefcase. It's pretty much telling us Brad Pitt was a red herring. Yeah. The entire time, it was, like, a mistaken memory. Mm -hmm. Like, he, he saw blonde ponytail guy, and maybe because, like, Brad Pitt is blonde and associated with the 12 monkeys, he just assumed... Yeah. That's you, and because we trusted that his imprinting of the woman was correct, we trusted that his imprinting of Brad Pitt was correct, yes. but it was not. Okay. Rayleigh goes to get, like, gum or something. She's, like, just buying something at the concessions area. The ponytail guy bumps into her, and she goes, oh, excuse me. And just, she's like, talked to him. She has talked to him. Um, so she bumps into him and kind of, like, looks at his face, right, but doesn't really make a connection. And as she's buying the gum or whatnot, she sees an article in a tabloid that's talking about the work going on at the science place. <laughs> and so it's a picture of Christopher Plummer in the lab. Next to him is yeah. that guy in the picture. So then she makes the connection. Holy crap, I have seen this guy before. Holy crap, that's the guy that just walked past me. And now she's back with James. Like, they've finally re-met up. And she's like, that's him. Like, he's the one who's going to spread the virus. He's an apocalypse nut. I am sure of it. We then see him going through security. And he's ahead of them, right? So they've got to, like, try to catch up to him. Yeah. He's going through security. And his freaking sticker bag is just full of vials. Mm -hmm. And so he takes his germs. And he starts walking toward the plane. And, of course, the couple, Rayleigh and James, are trying to get to him. They're trying to push their way through He's people. He's got a gun. He does. They're trying to push their way through people, though. They can't just, like, shoot through a crowd. Um, but they have to kind of, like, attack people because you, you have to wait in line to get through security. So he, like, punches <laughs> Not if people. you attack people. <laughs> exactly. So he then is starting to attack people. They're punching people. He gets through, and he whips out his gun. Ponytail guy turns around. 
the cops shoot James. Mm -hmm. And he falls to the ground, and he's dying. And Rayleigh runs over to him, and she's obviously devastated. And then the guy gets on the plane with the germs. Oh, wow. And then we see little boy James is looking at this scene, as we know he does. Mm -hmm. And she looks at him, because she knows that's going to be him. And the last shot of the film is his eyes, which was also the first shot of the film. The couple things that I took away from that is that... Hopelessness? (laughs) Is that this always happens no matter what. And it's proven by that phone call that happened at the last minute, because that also probably always happened, where his friend got the voicemail and was like, here's your gun, right? Uh Even though he thought he was adding that to the equation, that always happened. Uh Uh, I also wrote down, this is kind of the opposite message of Back to the Future, which Back to the Future ends with like, your future hasn't been written yet. And this one's like, it's an infinite cycle of a nightmare and you can't stop it ever, 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 (laughs) ever. Uh, some more fun facts before we do our rating, and then I have some other cool things to say, but I wanted to save it for after the ratings. This was based on, like I said, that short film, La Jete. I didn't watch it, but I did read the synopsis, and it seems pretty identical, except that your prediction of this movie was correct for the short film, which is that he goes to the future... Once he finds out where the virus came from and stuff, he goes to the future to use their technology to fix the present. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when he does so, he finds out that those scientists that sent him through all this time travel stuff are going to try to murder him. So he goes into the past to escape, and then they go murder him in the past, and his kid self watches himself get murdered. Oh. Much like this film. Okay. This was also kind of interesting, wraps up with the Vertigo thing. Like I said, they are watching Vertigo in the movie. Uh, Apparently, that scene from Vertigo heavily influenced the film La Jetée, La (laughs) Jetée, which then influenced this film. So it's like a little, it's a circle, much like the movie. Much like time itself. (laughs) Much like time itself. Uh, I also just wanted to point out that Brad Pitt won his first Golden Globe for this performance. This I just thought was funny. I found this fun fact that at first I thought was dumb, but I'll tell you why I changed my mind. It says, artist Lebius Woods claimed that the interrogation chair in the movie closely resembled uh, a painting that he made. So the interrogation chair is where the scientists talk to him, and basically it's a chair that he sits in, and it goes back against the wall and up to the middle of the wall, so this chair is, like, elevated. Weird. And then there's this, uh, like, ball full of TVs where the scientists talk to him like through the TV screens. Even though they're in the same room, it's like this big, huge ball of TVs is in front of his face. Weird. And I was like... And so apparently the uh, artist like sued the movie (laughs) and was like, hey, that looks too much like my picture. And they ended up giving him six figures for this thing. Wow. And I was like, ugh, people will sue for anything, won't they? Jeez. And I went and looked up the picture. They legit <laughs> stole it from the picture. It is identical. <laughs> like, it's as, this looks like concept art for the movie. Yeah. yeah. So I'm glad he got six figures. That's dope. That's Because they funny. stole your painting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... When I was watching interviews with the director, in one of the interviews, he said that he's inspired by painting. Okay. That's all. You played yourself. You played yourself. You tried to make yourself sound fancy. Wouldn't that be some sick evidence to reveal in court? Right? You literally said this. Yeah. I think that interview... No. mm, 
That interview probably was before they got sued. Yeah. Actually. Because I think probably, that interview yeah. was before the movie came out. So that's Yeah, funny. like, why would you further incriminate yourself? They did the, you know? yeah, they did the interview, like, on set. And yeah. then later the movie came out. That's so funny. And then my last fun fact is more just, um, it, it's partially a fun fact, partially, like, an observation, is that they said that the airport was actually a convention center. And that was also a fun fact about matchstick men. So I'm like, that's probably the case a lot of the time, because convention centers are often oh. empty, and airports are almost never empty. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And you can't film in them, I'm sure. Probably not. Yeah. So yeah. Ready to rate? Three, Three two, two, one. one. <laughs> oh god, is that <laughs> supposed to be five and a half? <laughs> oh god. <laughs> you have to count the monkeys. That's funny. <laughs> I gave it a regular five. I gave it a seven, and I made a little stop sign that says we did it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so you guys who have not seen it, tell me your opinions. Okay, I gave it a five because as I was listening to your um, story and, like, <laughs> imagining it, I was like, I think that I will like this just as much, if not a little less, than how I felt about mm-hmm. Underwater. And that ending just, like, really shut me down. Oh, like, okay. uh, yeah, like, I feel like nothing wholly came to fruition, like, throughout any of this plot, and if, and I, I feel like the message is, like, true, albeit a little preachy in a way, you know, <laughs> and I, I don't know, I feel like I'll still watch it, because I want to make better sense of it, and maybe that'll change my opinion, but for now, a five. Okay. Okay. Um, it's so funny, like, as someone who still hasn't seen it, I don't like the production design of this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like that ugly-ass future you told me about. Yeah, I haven't even seen it, but, like, the the trailer was chaotic, and your descriptions, and also just um, having seen this guy's other work, mostly The Fisher King, I'm just like, I can picture the griminess of things, and I can picture the hopelessness of things, Yeah, Uh, especially that ending. I wasn't expecting that and I just kind of feel like this director and I don't know why I have such beef with him I feel like I do now (laughs) Uh, I feel like his cynicism that came through in the end he really was just patting himself on the back for it Mm. that's how it feels to me of just like yeah you're welcome like we did it you did it you're the problem the 12 monkeys really did do it yeah I did too and I did too and I am excited to see Brad Pitt's performance in this I'm like really not looking forward to Bruce's Mm. and like it just seems like the Bradley show and I mean that seems great and also the premise seems awesome that I can be on board with I mean I didn't transition that well I'm like here are some things I like yeah I get you (laughs) Brad seems great and also very very interesting way of looking at it is that it is just one man as opposed to like a group of 12 or something Mm -hmm. and all that and like intriguing title and stuff and it, it really like keeps you like waiting and lingering on that thing um but they're just the writing sounds kind of bad in terms of logic like, they don't think anything through, even kind of, if this whole time you're able to travel back to any destination you want, mm. because they are, because they have that guy, Jose, come with yeah. the gun at that exact moment. It's like you planned that exact moment and that everything. It's like, then put Jose, like, ten feet further in the security line. Yeah. yeah. And have Jose yeah. just it's shoot so that like guy. a really badly done deus ex machina, you know? 
Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. He comes in to save the day, but then fucks up. Yeah. <laughs> he comes in and saves the day, but it's the reason why he dies. Like, you yeah. can't run through an airport with a gun. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, just don't have Jose be there. Instead, have it be like, <laughs> they push through to get to him. Yeah. But Bruce is, like, that wanted fugitive. And, like, it's... Yeah. It, they think he's got a gun. Or, or just have Bruce bring a gun. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So, I rated it a 7. And I feel a very complicated relationship with this movie as well, as I do... I feel like a lot of movies. I saw this once when I was younger. And I have this thing that some movies do where there's just, like, one thing that'll take me out of an entire movie. I think I've said this before, maybe not on the podcast, but about Seven Pounds. How I watched it and I just realized, like, that movie was just there to be like, be sad! Mm -hmm. Be sad! And then I was mad at it because I felt like that was the whole point. Yeah. And so I remember when I watched this movie as a kid, I was mad at it because I felt like the whole point was, look how we got to that thing we showed you in the beginning. Yeah. Look how we got here. And I was pissed. So going into this... <laughs> it's like a child. <laughs> yeah. So I was pissed. And this time, going back and watching it, I was very curious how I would feel. But I thought there was a lot going for this movie. Those gems of... The one-liners I said mm-hmm. that sometimes surprise you, I really loved that. I mean, that's that's the type of thing with books as well that makes me love a book, is when it's not just a story, but they have these sentences that'll just make you stop reading the book and go, holy crap, that's like such a beautiful way to say that or mm-hmm. to think about that. I've never put it in those words before. Uh, and I think that a lot of the ideas and motifs in this movie are also very interesting and beautiful and true. One of them, the more one of the more positive and interesting ones, rather than negatively interesting, is the thought of what really makes you crazy, and how who are we to judge anything like that? Because it is just majority rules, mm-hmm. and like, what are the lines? And like, how do we know certain things aren't true? germs we can't see and then one day we could and we realized they were true yeah so it just makes you wonder what why am i the judge of that and who gets to be the judge because mm-hmm. she gets to be for a while when she's a psychiatrist yeah mm-hmm. but is that even fair so things like that i really appreciated about the movie and even the more negatively interesting things being like are we just doomed to whatever are is fate just going to go in a direction and we have no control? Yeah. You know? And that's very bleak, but also interesting to think about. And I like to think about that kind of stuff. Another thing, and this this I wanted to bring up because I, I really liked this conversation we had. Uh, Riley and I were talking, and I was telling her about how much I loved Brad Pitt's performance in this and how I didn't really love Bruce's. And she was kind of saying, like, oh yeah, that sounds like a very 90s performance from him. Mm-hmm. And then I was just thinking, it's so interesting because I watch a movie like this and I do give it a bit of a higher score because of the year it was made. Because there's certain things you have to forgive and accept that it was made in the 90s. But then you have a performance like Brad Pitt, which is so amazing that it shines through, you know, 25 years in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. And I think that that's what's so special about movies like this or you know, why a movie like Back to the Future is still so widely regarded because there's so much about that movie that is magical even by today's standards Mm -hmm. that it's crazy. And of course, there are still things that need 80s forgiveness, but it's insane that you can make something 
that will have elements that still shine through today. Yeah. So that's a lot of why I gave it this score. And now this is my transition into this next little bit I wanted to say, which is that, like we've said before, I love doing this podcast because after researching this movie, I upped the score I was going to give it. Love it. Because I really like finding out this stuff. And I think I love this director because the more that I thought about the movies I have seen him do and watching him in an interview... I just really believe that this is a genuine guy. And I really hope that he's not creepy. I actually, like, tried to look and see if there's negative stuff out there about him as a guy. Yeah. Because he seems like maybe he could be. But I don't think that he is, and I just really hope he's not, because I'm really interested in his work. And there was this interesting quote that I found from, um, I believe she's a movie critic. Her name is Janet Maslin, and she called him the resident madman of the movies. Cool. That's the end of that. Oh my gosh. Watch list ads and recommendations. All right, I'll go first. So, for my watch list ad, I'm picking The Assistant. I it's, think I've. What is it? Explain it to me. I feel like got I have seen Julia it. Garner. I think it's about um, sexual harassment in the workplace. And it's not like, ringing a bell to me. And, uh, like power balance and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. she. She's just, like, an office clerk. Like, she just... It looks like she has a pretty boring job, but she starts to find out some sinister stuff about the people that she works for, and mm. everybody's just, like, down to cover it up. Okay. And stuff. It's a, it's. I like the trailer because it is, like, not giving away a lot of stuff, so you okay. just have to, like, infer a lot about it. But I really love Julia Garner, and I, I just want to see her in more stuff. Cool. And my um, recommendation... Going off of this movie is World War Z. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. It's also about a virus. Yeah. Brad Pitt is in it. Yeah. And he saves the day. Okay. <laughs> so happier? Yes. Nice. Cool. Okay. So my watch list ad, and this has actually been on my watch list for a long time, but it's even more relevant now because we're getting a sequel. Well, sequel, sequel <laughs> is uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh. <laughs> and one of the upcoming potential loves of my life, Samara Weaving, is going to be in Bill and Ted 3. And I've never seen Bill and Ted 1. I love the 80s and Keanu and all that kind of good stuff, so I should watch it. I might skip 2, honestly, but I we'll see. Two. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my recommendation for the week, and I realize there's actually quite a few reasons for this now that I'm thinking about it, okay. is Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction has Bruce Willis in it. And also, it is one of those movies where the first time I watched it, I kind of had that same feeling of 12 Monkeys, of why did I watch this in order to just get me back to what I saw in the beginning? Mm -hmm. And then I watched it recently as an adult, and I was able to understand the beauty of it and the humor, because I don't think I found anything funny when I watched it as a kid because it's so dry. Yeah. Like, it all went over my Mm -hmm. head, but I really enjoyed it the second time around, and it's just got a similar... Style, similar time. Obviously, people love Pulp Fiction, but if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Or watch it again. Yes. Um, <laughs> adding to my watch list, something that I just, it like keeps coming up in like a weird variety of ways. Um, and then most notably on two different podcasts, like My Ooh. Favorite Murder did an episode on it. 
and then the boys have, like, talked about it numerous times. I think Nick says it's the scariest movie he's ever seen is the Mothman Prophecies. <laughs> oh! Like, What's I could that be about? Down. Well, did you listen to that episode of My Favorite Murder? No, I didn't, but I remembered the boys talking There's, about like, it. There's, like, there was this, like, weird phenomenon in, like, some weird town where everyone swears they saw this giant what they described as Mothman. Ew. And Ew, that's, like, really specific. <laughs> it must be true. Oh, my gosh. Ew, how can everybody in the town have the same... Oh, no, I'm kidding. Kidding. Keep, I was kidding. Keep going. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> I didn't expect you to see so affected. Um, but also, it's just, it's one of those things where I don't have tons of knowledge on it, so I shouldn't be speaking as to mm. what it is. But, but basically, it just seems like... Uh, and, and then, like, a really scary thing, too, which... Nick said it's what the scariest thing was that he heard in a movie. Like, it just is like there's this very scary thing. And My Favorite Murder, like, said that's the scariest noise they've ever heard, too. Is like this, like, the Mothman would make noise. And I think there was, like, footage of him doing something. What kind of noise? (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I don't know. (laughs) Okay, let's all think of the noise. I think it was like a, like a, you know, and I, I find that really scary too. My, my biggest fear in, in like noises is when, is someone's voice is like distorted. Mm. Incredibles 2 scared me. (laughs) (laughs) When it's like any, like Saw, that's the scariest part Mm. of Saw is just like the voice. And so it's like a, just the distortion sound. Like it's just the distortion sound over like sound. And (gasps) that sounds so scary. That is gross. A moth man? Like, that's a full-grown man. Maybe if it was a moth woman, but... <laughs> that sounds sexy. <laughs> like, like the moth woman, like Madame Butterfly. You know? She's just, like, a naked girl with silver paint. I don't know. A moth man sounds, like, foggy and sinister. Like... I'm pretty sure that... Is there a picture? Is, <laughs> the, is the movie a dramatization of the... Of I the... think it's found footage. Are you like a it's... Sasquatch person? Because you sound like it. I'm am I a Sasquatch person? Or no, her. I was like, she's what so... have I said to indicate She's that? so into this moth, man. I'm sorry, just the fact that she said <laughs> that several people in the town during a certain amount of time... I think people also say that about, like, Sasquatch. No, that's like people who live in like airstreams. I don't stuff. know about that. What's your what's your recommendation? <laughs> I feel like I have no way to segue into this. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's how I'm gonna go into this. <laughs> Overshadowed by a giant mothman. Uh, but this is still a really good series. It's a, a ten episode series, so it's kind of like a movie if you're if you're uh, trying hard, <laughs> like I was. Yes. Uh, is eleven twenty two sixty three. It's the Stephen King book that's my favorite Stephen King book, and also the first one of his I ever read, and it was adapted for Hulu, and as soon as it came out, I watched maybe one minute of it, and I was like, not what I pictured, and turned it off. <laughs> I, this is so funny, because we were just talking about this the other day, because I found out she had started watching it again, and I was like, I re- remember thinking for a long time this show was bad, because I remember having a memory of you not liking it, yeah. and she goes, I watched about .02 seconds of it. <laughs> And I was like, nope, nope, he, he doesn't have the range. He can't do it. Um, I loved this series. That's I did awesome. watch it all in, like, basically one sitting. I wrapped all my Christmas presents watching Ooh. it. And then it is such a world, and it is so beautiful, but it really ties to 12 Monkeys because in a hopeful manner, kind of like how Arrival does it, mm. it is saying 
everything is inevitable. You cannot change it. Like, I'm mm. very sorry, but it's, it's not, like, in this horrible way. Like, you're just going to die in an airport someday. <laughs> like, instead, it's it's about knowing all of the pain that's going to happen, but you knowing that there's good in it, too. Yeah. Like, the good will be there. And you can try to change it, because there's this one really good character in the show who he's gone crazy is his thing, and it's because he has known about the the ability to time travel as well, which is what Jake's... I never remember that guy's name. James Franco's character, Mm. which is what James Franco's character does. He time travels to go back and save President Kennedy. Yeah. Um, And so this man is known as, like, the man who could see right through him and and knows what he's up to, but it's because he spent so long and so many times trying to prevent the death of his daughter, Mm. and then he's, like, he has this really heartbreaking monologue about, like, how no matter what, it's always going to happen, and sometimes it gets worse. Like, I tried to save her, and she drowns. I tried to save her, and something worse happens, and it's just, it's really heartbreaking, Um, and, you know, he's there along the way to, like, try and push James Franco from doing the thing that he's going to do because it's like, well, what happens if you prevent the Kennedy assassination? You don't know what comes next. Similar themes to Butterfly Effect. Exactly. You don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I loved it. It was so well done. They they completely wrote in a character for George McKay and it was beautiful. Oh. <laughs> and I, I really loved it. It was good. Cool. I would watch great. that. Yeah. yeah. Whole time travel mission. And, and, yeah. and because it's wrapped right it's done oh it's it's not coming yeah, back or i anything. love that yeah, it's done yeah so that's my recommendation and that's our podcast join us next week when i explain to kayleen and courtney the entire plot of midnight special starring michael shannon mm. i didn't realize he was in that he is so get your ass ready what He's about gonna the rest yell in of your face. me? <laughs> Is he going to re- yell in my face or in my ass? Your ass. <laughs> He's going to yell in your ass. <laughs> I wish that had something to do with the plot of the movie, so that could be our title. <laughs> it's like Annabelle, Michael Shannon. He's yelling at your ass. Annabelle's in your ass and Michael Shannon is saying, get out!